Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The New York Mets wanted to go big game hunting, and they wanted to find someone who they could pair with Jacob deGrom in that rotation and be a truly impact player. And the fact that they went to the level that they did for Max Scherzer surprised me a little. I mean, remember... The biggest average annual value on a contract we've seen in Major League Baseball history has been Garrett Cole at $36 million. Max Scherzer is going to be making 20% more than that, $43.3 million a year. Uh, it was a staggering number and, and one that I think caught the industry a little bit off guard, but the Mets got a whole lot better seemingly by, by giving it to him. That's ESPN's Jeff Passon on the heels of Max Scherzer signing for three years and $130 million with the New York Mets yesterday. Good morning, everyone. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. It is Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Randy. What an interesting sports day we had yesterday. Who, what native St. Louisan had a better day? Jack Dorsey retiring, essentially, or Max Scherzer getting this deal uh, I would say Jack Dorsey because I think he's made more money than Max Scherzer. Yeah, several and, billion more. Yeah, and he gets to just chill now and do whatever he wants. So even though Max Scherzer, uh, no slouch in, in the wallet department there, he is <laughs> raking up himself. I would say at Jack Dorsey's age, being able to just have the rest of your life ahead of you and unlimited funds to do whatever you want sounds pretty good. Not bad. Here's what we have coming up on the show. New Cardinal left-hander Stephen Matz will join us at the bottom of the hour. Conzo Martin, the Mizzou basketball coach. Congratulations to Mizzou. They got a win last night. He'll join us at 8 o'clock. Darren Pang in the Blues booth at 8.15, and then our weekly visit with Mike Claiborne as well. We mentioned the Scherzer signing, $43.3 million a year, which is phenomenal. And as Jeff Passon mentioned, the old AAV high was $36 million for Garrett Cole. So we took a pretty big leap yesterday. But didn't it feel like Steve Cohen was not going to be outbid? Yeah, that... I think uh, Stephen Metz probably made him mad. I think Stephen Metz <laughs> did make him mad, or his, or his agent made him mad. Right. But it just felt after those tweets when Matt's confirmed that he was coming to the Cardinals, those tweets from Steve Cohen came out that this was a scorned guy mm-hmm. and that he was going to go out and get someone that he perceived to be bigger and better than the guy that burned him or left him at the altar mm-hmm. and that no amount of money was going to be too small to get the deal done. I just had this feeling that no matter what other team offered Max Scherzer, he was going to outbid them. Another team that's doing some outbidding is the Texas Rangers. On Sunday, they signed 
the number three MVP candidate in the American League, finished third in the MVP voting. Marcus Simeon gets a seven-year deal worth $175 million with the Rangers. Yesterday, they signed former Dodgers shortstop Corey Seager to a 10-year deal worth $325 million. They had also signed John Gray, former Rockies right-hander, to a $56 million contract. And they also have signed another infielder. So, Michelle, they spent $561.2 million, the Rangers have, in the last four days. And that is more than their total payroll over the last four seasons, which was $410 million. And they might not be an awful lot better. They won 60 games last year. They added one mid-level starting pitcher. And granted, you took care of your middle infield for next year. But Corey Seager's 28. Marcus Simeon is 32. In six years, heading into the sixth year of that contract for Simeon, He'll be 37. Seager will be 35. I just have trouble believing that these contracts are going to wind up working out well for the Rangers. Yeah, when you give out over $500 million in contracts, you should be positioned to win a World Series. Yeah, right. And I don't know if we can firmly say that about the Texas Rangers. And I did bad math on Seager. So he'll be 34, not 36. So those two go to the American League West. Also going to the American League West, Robbie Ray, American League Cy Young Award winner, in agreement on a five-year deal for $115 million with the Mariners. The Angels have already made their move, signing Noah Syndergaard. So there's a lot of movement in that division. Houston has yet to really do anything aside from bringing back Justin Verlander, which for them will be an addition. And the A's are getting ready to tear things down. How fun has this been? To watch baseball spend over a billion dollars in a short time frame and have stars changing teams and signing these big deals. I know it stinks because all of this is happening because baseball is getting ready to shut down. It's a shame that all of this goodwill that they're garnering is going to go away in a second once they shut down and they anger the fans. But this has been really exciting. They need to threaten the lockout every year. (laughs) They really do. (laughs) Because I think that you have probably piqued the interest of... Well, I would say the sports world, but college football said, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. A lot's happening in baseball, yep. but college football said, hold my beer. And we'll get to college football in one second. A couple of other rumors. Javi Baez, according to MLB.com's John Morosi, closing in on a long-term deal with the Tigers. And Freddie Freeman and the Braves at odds over whether his new contract should be five or six years. Now to college football. We got the stunning news on Sunday that Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley is headed to USC Last night, stunned again as Notre Dame head coach Brian Kelly headed to LSU. And Michelle, you and I were talking about this before the show. We could rate the top dozen programs in all of college football. Alabama, Texas, USC, Notre Dame, LSU, Florida, Clemson, Michigan, Ohio State. And let's close things out with Georgia, Oklahoma, and Auburn. Of the top dozen programs in all of college football in our highly scientific survey, Three have opened up this year with USC, Notre Dame, LSU, actually five, Florida, and Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So five of the 12, and two more were open last year. It's unbelievable what's happening in college football, but the turnover this year, especially with star coaches, because they're the stars of college football programs, it's remarkable. When you have a cash stream the way that college football does and you're paying all of this money, dead money to coaches who aren't there, Mm -hmm. it increases your urgency to win. And all of these legacy programs have that anyway. But if you're paying 
Brian Kelly $100 million, you must be pretty confident that he's going to bring you a national championship. And my initial thought when I heard this news, Randy, was, is this a parallel move for him going from Notre Dame to LSU? Why would he, what is the appeal of leaving a program that he has built in a comfortable situation where he's one of the best programs in the country to go somewhere like LSU. And the more I thought about it, it's got to be the fact that the past three LSU coaches have won national championships. It's going to be a different crop of talent. He might not have the same restrictions as he does while he's recruiting Notre Dame because they do have certain standards that they uphold. Academic standards that they do live by. They're student athletes, correct. And I think that there is something about coaching in the SEC. And... These coaches, at the end of the day, all they want to do is win a national championship, but they but they want to do it in the best situation. And he knows that LSU is going to spare no resource and help put him in the best position to win. And that's that's the the one thing he needs to round out his resume. And every time he makes it to the Final Four or to the championship, his team gets boat raced. Mm-hmm. So he's doing a great job of coaching, getting Notre Dame to the level they are. He he's maximized that program. But if you maximize LSU, like you say, you're going to win a championship. You you can't beat Alabama with Notre Dame, but you can beat Alabama. It's been proven with LSU. And if you're recruiting, looking to all of the NFL talent that's constantly being pumped out of the SEC, not that Notre Dame is any slouch when it comes to talent or to legacy, but I think kids today, and I hate to say that phrase, it makes us sound old, but kids today don't really care about legacy, I no. think. They, they care about what are you going to do to maximize my shine? Are you going to get me to the league? Are we going to win? I think the average kid that he's recruiting may look at LSU on just a little bit of a different plane than they do Notre Dame. Sure. And they also want cool stuff. Notre Dame's done a good job of updating their helmets. That looks cool. But kids also like to as you mentioned they they want to have their shine on national tv and it's one thing to show up on nbc on notre dame but it's a different level like you say when you show up on that sec game on cbs or in the near future espn and abc have you seen those hype videos that lsu puts out before the games they're unbelievable it's it's just different at lsu i've been to a lot of different programs including sec programs and the game day environment in baton rouge is the single best sports experience i have ever had it's great it's awesome and to get a kid there that you really want to recruit and show them what it's like on game day in baton rouge and knowing that you have a chance to win a national title and you probably Mm -hmm. have a chance to go to the nfl it's pretty appealing last night monday night football washington knocks off seattle 17 15 by the way russell wilson looks terrible I was thinking about that this morning. For all the noise he made this offseason about the the talent around him not being good enough or Seattle not putting him in the best position, I know he's been injured, but he hasn't really uh, backed up his own cause no. this season. And if you're bothered by the talent around you, you might just want to try to throw the ball to DK, DK Metcalf once in a while. <laughs> and Mizzou last night knocked off... Paul Quinn College in NAIA school, 91 to 59. So congratulations to the Tigers. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, it's episode three of The Backler as we count things down towards the guy that gets the magic football at the end of the year here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 32 quarterbacks. All vying for that final game ball. Who will Randy and Michelle choose? 
Find out this week on The Backler. Okay, week three of The Backler, where we put together a concrete list of intended starting quarterbacks. Players given a rose, which will be a game ball. We will each have a quarterback for a first impression game ball to a player, and then each be given one quarterback to assess for a one-on-one date, a quarterback meeting. (laughs) And then we can save that quarterback or send them home. And then we're going to have a group of quarterbacks, typically known as a group date. Mm -hmm. It'll be called a quarterback combine, but I like to call it a group date with the guys. Uh, The players will be assessed based on a chosen statistic for the week. This week it's interceptions. And then we give a game ball to those players to save. And with the help of your influence at 657, Game balls given out one by one to one of the remaining players until there are none left, leaving the amount of players that are eliminated. All right, six slots available this week. Four players will be eliminated. And Michelle, your game ball pick. First impression. I think looking at the group of guys that are still available, Randy... Even though there are some questions surrounding this guy, this might be a controversial first impression pick. I'm going to give my first impression game ball to Aaron Rodgers. He's been hindered by that that left pinky toe injury for the past three games since returning from the COVID-19 list. And he's not going to have surgery on that toe during their bye week this week, which makes me believe that he's going to get that much more healthy and be in that much better of a position when he does return. And really, he beat the Rams um, 36 to Mm -hmm. 28, so he's going to get my game ball, Aaron Rodgers. Michelle, I am absolutely smitten with Jimmy Garoppolo, and it's not who he's dated previously. Some pretty interesting people he's dated previously. (laughs) But he went 17 of 26 for 230 with a touchdown and an interception, and his team has won three in a row. And they knocked off Minnesota this weekend. So I am going to go with Jimmy G as my first impression guy. You've picked Jimmy G several times. I like Jimmy G. You really do. You really do. He may get the magic football from me. We'll see. (laughs) Magic football. I love this. All right. uh, You get to have a one-on-one with Dak. Dak Prescott, interesting one-on-one, especially coming off that Thanksgiving Day loss to the Las Vegas Raiders. He put up good numbers in that game, especially in the fourth quarter. And Randy, in reading about Dak Prescott a little bit this morning, he tends to turn it on in December and January. It's That's when Dak really shines. You know how the Cardinals always say we kind of save it for the summer heading into the playoffs. We really turn on the Jets. It seems like Dak Prescott does the same thing. In December and January, he's thrown for 4,059 yards, 24 touchdown passes, 65.4% passer rating. So I'm going to go ahead and give Dak Prescott that game ball. Even though they're coming off of a loss and you would have wanted to see a little bit more from Dak, I still have faith in him. He's getting the game ball. And Michelle, I have a one-on-one with with Joe Burrow, and he told me that he has beat up on the Pittsburgh Steelers not once but twice this yeah, year. Confirmed. And I am very impressed by Joe, not only because of what he did in college and being such a fun guy, but the fact that uh, he's got a team that has a chance to be in the Super Bowl. I got to give Joe a game ball. He, he's a yes for me. He's got an aura about him. He does. Yeah, I like him. He's a winner. All right. Uh, Andrew, can you help us out now as we move through and traverse our group? quarterbacks absolutely so we're looking at interceptions who had the most interceptions this week out of the remaining guys we have lamar jackson jalen hurts justin herbert josh allen and kirk cousins a lot of guys on this list that are appealing to me but if i'm gonna steal one sorry randy i'm swiping lamar coming off of that (sighs) that 16 to 10 win over the cleveland browns i know it wasn't 
his most electric performance, but that's exactly why I'm taking him. You can because I, I know what he's capable of. So Lamar, welcome to my side. So when I get together with my buddy Kirk Cousins <laughs> at the end of the night, he always says, "You like that? You like that?" Sounds personal. It kind of is, and I do like it. So I am going to go with my guy. <laughs> Kirk Cousins, who didn't have the greatest game against the San Francisco 49ers, but he's still having a good year, and I'm I'm still liking him. So Kirk is my number one group selection. Again, you have selected Kirk Cousins many times. You like that? I like it because I'm not going to take him. So you go ahead and, and put him on your list. All right. Was Kirk Cousins lining up not under center the most Kirk Cousins thing ever? <laughs> yeah, it kind of was. The whole point of this is to end up giving your what you call it, the magic football yes. uh-huh. to a guy that you want to have forever. And do you really want to marry yourself to Kirk Cousins forever? The Vikings do. Yeah, they do. But I'm <laughs> asking you guys. Well, I, I've got a secret plan here for the for the magic football. Okay, there's a there's a strategy yeah. at play. All right, mm-hmm. cool. I'm cool with that. Okay, what's next? All right, you guys can pick from the remaining players that are left on this board. All right, Michelle, go go ahead. I'm going to take the guy that I really want, and I know you don't. Give me Tom Brady. Oh, my. I'm going to take Tom Brady every week, Randy. I know he's not going to be your first selection, okay. but why would I settle for anything less than the best? Tom Brady is the GOAT, so why would I settle for anything less than number one? Because he doesn't have a half billion dollars and can't sign a couple of middle infielders like my guy Patrick Mahomes can. Scoreboard. (laughs) That's all I'll say is scoreboard. Give me the second coming of Tom Brady. I want Mac Jones. My. Thank you very much. You're welcome very much. Uh, Okay. Have you checked those AFC standings? Yeah, and it's... uh, The New England Patriots looking strong, rounding into form. Your Patriots is going to get ugly in a hurry. (laughs) But you can have Mac Jones. It's kind of like having uh, a poor man's Mark Bulger on your team. Oh God! <laughs> but you you got him. I did. Yep. Which is great, and you didn't leave me an awful lot. So I'm gonna have to go with my guy. Another win last night. All he does is win, win, win. Taylor Heineke. You really stole that one for me. Yep. I was actually going with Caw-caw. that. Caw-caw. I was just gonna say I'll pick someone with my head and my heart in Taylor Heineke. Man, Randy, good selection from you. It's right. getting tough now. Yeah. No. Last pick for both of you now. Okay. Oh, this is tough. I'm teetering between two guys. Now I understand what these girls feel. These, mm-hmm. Well, I guess men do it, too. I'm the bachelor, where you have to get out these or roses. The bachelor, yeah. The bachelor. It's very tough. It's very tough. Give me Josh Allen. Thanksgiving Day win over the Saints, 31-6. to six. Is Josh on? Oh, yeah, there he is down there. Yeah. Okay. Give me, give me Josh Allen. Wow, I actually love okay. this group. Rodgers, Dak, Lamar, Brady, Mac Jones, Josh Allen. Wow, it's going to be a difficult decision as we move forward. And you talk about just uh, locking somebody down for life, right? That's what we're talking about here? Yeah, that's right. The old ball and chain. Yeah, I'm going to go with Justin Herbert. That's who I was teetering between. Not only do I love the skill set, did you read Mina Kimes' profile on Justin Herbert? No, I didn't. One of my biggest pet peeves in life is people that will not return shopping carts to the corral. Uh Yeah. Justin Herbert's too. 
he's such an even keel guy and his teammates were talking about him and one of the only times he ever got mad at one of his teammates is when they didn't return the shopping cart and it, it's a big determining factor on if you're a good person or not or if you care about society as a whole or the or your fellow man is if you return the cart and the fact that justin herbert returns the cart all the time tells me a lot about him so one, that's a good pick from you one thing that's become apparent here is that michelle is uh, attracted to the older quarterback the, the, the gentleman. What? I have two older guys. Lamar, Mac, Josh Allen. Dak is maybe in that middle tier. I don't have any. And oh. and by the way, the two older guys I took are not only seasoned, they are champions. I'm trying to set a good foundation for this house, Randy. We want a winner. Okay. Good luck with that. <laughs> Thank you. I feel great about it. So only one of them can make it to the Super Bowl. So I, I've got a couple... I've, I've got a couple of guys that are going to be playing in the Super Bowl again in February that I'm very happy with. Who? Uh, Patrick Mahomes against Jimmy G again. Oh, okay. We'll see. It's going to happen. Two scary teams. Mac Jones and Tom Brady might have something to say about that. Mac Jones? Yeah, look at the Patriots. I know you're a hater. I know you're not a non-believer. Okay. Uh, you are going to spin that wheel. They're, they're going to be a, a strong playoff team. I'll spin the wheel, and I'll let you fill out every slot on the wheel if Mac Jones beats Patrick Mahomes to get to the Super Bowl. Okay, deal. Done. Yeah, every slot. Okay, done. All right, that is it for this week's edition of The Backler, and it's going to get even more intense next Tuesday here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Cardinals introduced Stephen Matz yesterday. Their new left-hander will join us next on 101 ESPN. Which QB will roll out of the pocket and into the hearts of Randy and Michelle? Find out next week on The Backler. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us and great to have Stephen Matz as a member of St. Louis and the Cardinals, the left-hander officially introduced by the Redbirds yesterday, and he joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Stephen, thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning, and congratulations. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. So I got to ask you about this process. You said it was fun, and we, we had read that the Mets, we know the Mets had interest in you, the Cubs, Dodgers, Red Sox, and Tigers. What was this process like? Was it kind of like being The Bachelor? <laughs> you know, um, I, I do feel very blessed that um, I, I've, um, I had some some uh, decisions, you know, like not, not all the time it goes this way. So, I, you know, it was fun. I, I got to learn a lot about different organizations. I got to take a lot of Zoom calls, ask a lot of questions, see how the organizations are run, and uh, stuff like that. So it was really cool. Well, Stephen, first of all, welcome to St. Louis. We're so thrilled to have you as a member of our community and as a member of the Cardinals. Uh, what do you know about St. Louis, the city? Not about the Cardinals, the organization. What do you know about St. Louis? Uh, I feel like I'm trying to learn a lot right now. I know I have a couple friends who maybe have some family from there, and so I'm asking a lot about it. Um so I don't know a ton. Obviously, um, I read a book this last season about Lewis and Clark, so um, I got a little history background there, but that's it. Well, you'll have to go to the Arch. There's a great Westward Expansion Museum at the base of the Arch that I think you'll really enjoy. I guess I'll have to go there. <laughs> Stephen Matt's with us on 101 ESPN. Hey, what was last season like for you, Stephen, with the Blue Jays? You guys started off playing your home games in Bradenton, and then you moved to Buffalo, and then you moved to Toronto. What, what was that experience like for you? Um, you know, I got to give um, 
the Blue Jays organization credit. They they did it. They made it really easy for us. Um, you know, they they renovated the stadium up in Buffalo. They did everything they could down in, in Dunedin, Florida, to help us just you know have a good experience, especially for the guys who were there for one year. And um, so I, I give a lot of credit to them. I, I enjoyed my time there. Um, and you know, breaking up the season like that, I actually it it uh, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. Kind of. You know, looking forward, I'd never been to Buffalo. You know, I was looking forward to going to Buffalo. And then after two months, you know, finally to get to Toronto, it kind of gave it kind of energized us a little more. So, you know, optimistically, it was actually, uh, it wasn't too bad. And the Blue Jays did a, did a great job to accommodate us. And on the days that you weren't starting, it must have been cool to have a front row seat to watch that group of kids play, too. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, that that lineup was uh, was really impressive, and uh, it, what they could do day in and day out, it was uh, it was special. It really was. Stephen, in watching your introductory press conference yesterday, you said that you had always admired the Cardinal way from afar, and that's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. So I'm just curious, how would you describe the Cardinal way? Yeah, so I don't I don't really fully um, know it all, but you know it's 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 very evident to see the way they go about things, just the professionalism, the type of guys that are in the organization, you know, guys like Wainwright, guys like Yachty, um, guys like Carpenter, you know, those are guys who have a lot of respect for the peers throughout the game. Um, you know, it's no frills. It's, you know, it's just straight to business, um, professional, good guys off the field. So I don't, I don't fully know what it means, but it, it seems like, you know, the guys who have been there um, kind of have a lot of respect of um, their peers across the league. So. And Stephen, you mentioned yesterday that you were excited about pitching to Yachty. Specifically, why did you want to come here and have Yachty be your catcher? Well, I mean, you know, he's got an amazing reputation. He's, I think, in my generation, you know, in my opinion, probably the best catcher um, during that time span. So, obviously, that would be an honor to be able to throw to him and, you know, be able to work with him. And that, that excites me. Stephen, you touched on this a little bit yesterday as well, but this Cardinals defense is obviously elite. How important was pitching in front of this Cardinals defense to you whenever you were making this decision about where to go? Yeah, you know, it was re- it was really important. Um, honestly, the Cardinals were were on my mind from the very uh, end of the season. You know, I got I, it was exciting watching them win. You know, those seventeen games in a row. Um, I knew they had traded for two lefty pitchers and. You know, in my mind, I was like, man, that would be really cool to be part of that organization. So when they called, it really excited me. But, you know, Nolan Arenado over there, Paul Goldschmidt, I mean, uh, Bader out in center field. I mean, just thinking about throwing and having five gold gloves behind you. I mean, that definitely was a box that was checked for me. Steven Matz made his Major League debut on June 28th, 2015. You go seven and two-thirds against the Reds. You allow two runs, strike out six. But you also went three for three with four RBIs. What is your favorite part of your Major League debut? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely got to be the hitting. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool. And you had a really good rookie year hitting. Are you going to miss, and last year obviously you had the DH in the American League, but coming back to the National League, are you going to miss having the opportunity to get to the plate? Um, yeah, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with these negotiations, but I'm hoping that pitchers can keep on hitting. That's just the way I like it, but. 
And then, Stephen, at the end of that year, you got a chance to pitch in the postseason and made a start in the World Series. And obviously, that's the goal for everybody. But tell us about that hunger for you to get back to the postseason and be able to pitch in the postseason in the World Series. Yeah, you know, I was pretty spoiled there. You know, I had six starts in the big leagues, and next, you know, I'm pitching the playoffs, and it was just kind of like, oh, this is this is how it goes, I guess. And <laughs> obviously, kind of, uh, you know, haven't haven't been back. We went we went to the wild card in 16, but other than that, haven't been, haven't been back. But you know, I got a, I got a little taste of baseball in October this year, just with the Blue Jays, and um, you know, we came down to the very last game where it was like a, almost a four way tie, but. That just that meaningful baseball at the end of the season and the excitement of the city and I mean, especially in St. Louis, I mean that's that's just another thing that that you think about and you know I, I think that this Cardinals team can really you know do some damage down the line and I think that's also really exciting. Well, Stephen, this is the first time that our audience is getting to get to know you and hear from you. What would you like Cardinals fans to know about you? Um, I guess just that, you know, I'm, I'm going to work hard no matter what. And so that's kind of what I, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, stuff, there's going to be adversity and I'm just going to keep working. And that's, that's just the way, that's just the way I am. And, uh, it's kind of the way I've always been. So I take a lot of pride in that. According to Baseball Reference, Stephen, you have three different nicknames, Matsy, which is obvious, and then Rend and Reno. Are those accurate, first of all, and which is your favorite? <laughs> well, I don't know where Rend came from, um, but um, Reno was kind of, uh, I kind of did that for my dad. My dad, growing up, used to call me Steve Reno, and so I, nobody really calls me that, but I just thought it would be cool. Um, when I was like a, a little kid for him to see that on my jersey. But most people call me Matt, I would say. <laughs> um, Steven, Randy had mentioned that you had a lot of different options to choose from whenever you were going through this process, the Mets reportedly being one of them. I'm curious, did you see their owner, Stephen Cohen's tweets after it was announced that you were heading to the Cardinals? Um, yeah, I did. I mean, I, I, got my, I got a lot of text that day. My phone was kind of blowing up, so I, I was aware of what was going on. And what was your response to that? Um, you know, I, I just don't try to get caught up in all that. That's why I have agents and, and all that. So, you know, ultimately, me and Taylor, my wife, felt like St. Louis was the greatest fit, and I was extremely excited about that. And so, you know, social media can, uh, can be uh, – I don't know. But anyway, it is, uh, it is what it is, and I'm excited about St. Louis. Well, I hope Scherzer sends you a thank you text today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think his three scions might have uh, helped that $43 million, not mine. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Stephen, we know that you've been involved in a lot of charitable efforts in New York City. You're involved with the first responders and uh, the police and fire departments and the, and the U.S. military, and that is obviously much appreciated on the part of everybody that is a baseball fan. What got you involved with those? Um, you know, I just had a, a ton of respect for that blue collar type of work. Um, you know, I thought maybe that could be something I do. You know, if, if baseball wasn't, um, if it, baseball didn't work out for me. So, you know, after my first season, I sat down with my agent. We, you know, and made the World Series, and so you know, we, we let's try to do something to, you know, for the community here. And we did a few things with um, this thing called Angela's House. It's a, a charity that supports disabled families, and then. Uh, supports 
families with disabled kids. Um, we, we helped out some little leagues, and then we, we started doing some first responders. We would just invite them to a game. And, um, and that, one really, the, that one really took on a life of its own, you know. And it just we just kept kind of – the ball kept rolling with it. It gained a lot of um, traction. And, you know, by the end of my season there at the Mets, we were building scholarships for kids who had lost their parents in the line of duty. And, and so it was really cool. It was um, – you know, it was – it felt good to have that um, take uh, take on it like it did. So that's fantastic. And you mentioned your wife Taylor, who, who's a musician. She plays in a group, a family Christian group. What what part of music does she participate in? Is she a music? Uh, does she play an instrument or is she a vocalist? And tell us about the the group and how busy they are. Yeah, they're extremely busy. They have really um, taken off this year. It's been a lot of fun to watch them have their success and. Uh, Taylor, she she plays the keys and she plays the guitar and mainly mainly a vocalist though. Um, so they um, they played like 150 shows this year. They're about to go on a Christmas tour and um, so they're uh, actually they, we're we're all leaving tomorrow. Um, it's her birthday and she wanted the family to go on the bus with her. So oh. for a couple of days we're all going to load the bus and uh, go a couple towns in the southeast and uh, watch them play. So. That's great. And what's the name of the group? The, the group is called Kane. Yeah, you're right. It's her, her brother, and her sister. Okay, fantastic. Hey, it is great to hear from you. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. Congratulations again, and we'll see you down in Jupiter. All righty. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Stephen. Stephen Matz, new Cardinal left-hander, number 32, joining us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Between he and his wife, what a busy schedule. No doubt. Yeah, 150 shows already, and obviously we're near the end of the year, but that's a cool birthday present to have the whole family going on the bus with her. I bet that'll uh, be very memorable. Yeah, and one of the things that Mo said yesterday in introducing him is that one of the reasons the Cardinals wanted to sign Stephen Matz is because he's a good guy, and you you can feel it through the phone line. He's going to fit right in. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It's time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. We welcome your texts to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Take It or Leave It. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Andrew Marsh is here to provide your questions for us. And Michelle, I'm going to get things started. We mentioned at the top of the show that Russell Wilson looks really bad. The Seahawks are now 3-8. and eight. Take it or leave it. It's time for Seattle to move on from 70-year-old Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson and start from scratch. Ooh. Russell Wilson to the Saints. So I understand where you're coming from, but even though Russell Wilson does not want to be there, I don't think you're a better football team with whoever you're going to get as opposed to Russell Wilson. Yes, he's been injured this season. Yes, at times he has not looked like himself, but he's still Russell Wilson. And as we've learned in the NFL, it's very hard to find a Russell Wilson. <laughs> it's very hard to find a guy that can be a true Super Bowl champion quarterback or a franchise quarterback. So I'm going to leave that. 
he, by the way, turned 33 yesterday. Was his birth? Or no, he turned 32 yesterday. He's only 32. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Feels so much older than that. I just wonder if he's if he's happy or if he'll be amenable. And maybe they just need to get different players. But I just wonder if that ownership is thinking, okay, we've gone through this. We've had a couple of descending years in a row, and now's the time to start anew. Well, after his comments this offseason, coupled with the Seahawks' performance this season, I can't imagine that he's going to stay quiet or want to stay there. I agree. Randy, we've talked a lot about the wild coaching carousel in college football for the the past week. It's been really crazy. So after Lincoln Riley's move to USC was announced, one name kept getting floated to Oklahoma that I thought was a bit curious, and that's Cliff Kingsbury's. Take it or leave it. He's just looking to get a massive extension from the Arizona Cardinals and has no interest in going back to college football. I will take that. Yes, I, I believe that is an agent plant to Adam Schefter. And I don't believe that Cliff Kingsbury wants to leave a team that right now is the number one seed in the NFC. And when healthy, Kyler Murray was one of the MVP candidates in the league. I don't know why you want to give that up so that you can go and have to be at the behest of 18-year-olds. Yes, all of that is valid. May I throw something else mm-hmm. on the fire? We've seen his house in, in Arizona. It's pretty nice. He's not going to go to Oklahoma. We've seen the house. Yeah, you, Norman <laughs> doesn't have that house. No, it does not. Or if it does, it's not the same. <laughs> exactly. All right, Andrew, what do you have from the text slide? So from the 314, take it or leave it. Even after spending a half a billion on their middle infield alone, the Rangers will still finish third or worse in their division. I'm going to take that. And... I'll go a step further. I think they will finish under 500. Dang. That's an expensive losing season. Got to be able to pitch. That is true. Let's see. Now, if they get Kershaw, they would have to spend a lot of money to bring him home. But if they get a healthy Kershaw, then everything could change. But right now, I, I don't love what they have. Yeah. they. You would imagine if you peel off... 500 plus million dollars that you'd feel much better about the state of your team. Yeah, but Houston is still better and Houston needs a shortstop. The Angels have improved. They're probably right there, even with Trout and Rendon back, right there with Texas. And then Seattle adding Robbie Ray. It's a 90 win team from last season. Mm -hmm. And they go out and get Robbie Ray. They add Adam Frazier. Seattle is going to be pretty darn good. And right now, the Rangers pitching staff, they're starting pitching is John Gray, Taylor Hearn, Dane Dunning, A.J. Alexi, and Spencer Howard. They don't exactly have the uh, two thousand or the 1993 Atlanta Braves starting for them. So staying on that same wavelength, we'll take it to the NL East. From the 636, take it or leave it, despite the signings for the Mets, they will not win the East in 2022. What do you think? The, the Braves are certainly there. The They're Phillies. getting Acuna back. Yeah. And maybe they get, uh, well, uh, Charlie Morton is certainly going to be back. Soroka may be back. So, yeah, I would go with Atlanta being the favorite in that division. Do you think the Phillies will be better than the Mets? They should be. But, again, Dave Dombrowski needs to go out and get some relief pitching. They've, They've got a pretty good rotation, but they need to get some relief pitching. All right. Going to the ice from the 636. Take it or leave it. The Blues collect at least four points against the Florida teams in their upcoming matchups. Michelle, I'm going to leave that. Okay, so we've got Tampa Bay Mm -hmm. tonight 
You'll hear it here on 101 ESPN starting at 6 o'clock. And then at Tampa, at Florida, and then Florida here next Tuesday, a week from tonight. Can the Blues play 500 against those two teams? I'm going to leave it the way things are going right now. I was just going to say, based on our most recent sample size, I'm going to have to leave it too. No Perron? I was just going to say that too, especially with no David Perron. All right. From the 618, take it or leave it. Russell Wilson to our Miami Dolphins. Ooh, intriguing. Uh, Based on reports, he wants a bigger market and he wants a situation where he feels like he can win. I I would imagine Russell Wilson would love Brian Flores. I'm just thinking about Sierra liking Miami. Which she definitely would. Yeah. It's a scene. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take that too. But what about Tua? Tua would like it up in uh, Seattle. (laughs) Tua legit to quit. Four in a row. He's looked great. Yeah. He has looked fantastic. Just the two us. <laughs> not not as great this past week, right? No, uh, we lost by less than a point. Our fantasy football team in the Adam Wainwright Big League Impact League lost 110.3 to 109.45, and we lost because Dalvin Cook got hurt. Thanks a lot, Dalvin. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> All right, back to the baseball diamond. Take it or leave it from the 314. The Yankees forgot that MLB free agency has started. <laughs> Take it. Yeah, where are they? <laughs> Come the on. Rangers are spending over $500 million. Where are the Yankees? Yeah, they need another starting pitcher. They need a center fielder. But they're also concerned about being over the luxury tax. Maybe they'll find something, but they've, they've got some work to do with that franchise. No doubt about it. All right, take it or leave it from the 618. Kelly leaving Notre Dame means that Lane Kiffin is the hire that we want for the Fighting Irish. You know, it would be interesting. Totally take it. But I can't imagine that the powers that be at Notre Dame would look at Lane Kiffin and say, this is the guy that we want representing our Catholic institution. (laughs) No, I don't think so. Although, he may be a good Catholic. Maybe. I'm not sure. But Luke Fickle is definitely devout. Now, he's probably going to have Cincinnati in the final four, so he probably won't be available. So Matt Campbell from Iowa State might be the guy. And they might just promote from within. That would be interesting. But we would love to see what Lane Kiffin would do with Notre Dame. That would be so much fun. I don't see it happening. All right, last one. Take it or leave it. Notre Dame somehow sneaks their way into the college football playoff after Kelly announces he's going to LSU. Okay, the way that this could happen is if Alabama would just get blown out by Georgia. Mm -hmm. And Notre Dame's only loss is to Cincinnati, so they're feeling pretty good about that. And so you would have Georgia, Michigan, if they can win, Cincinnati, Notre Dame. I could see that. You you think it's a possibility? Well, they would jump Oklahoma State. Where are they in all of this? Yeah, Oklahoma State probably is going to wind up with a tougher schedule, too. They would have to probably lose Mm -hmm. as well. Or Michigan would have to lose. So that's what Notre Dame would have to hope for, a Michigan loss. And and by the way, they need Alabama to lose, too. Because if Cincinnati's undefeated, Alabama beats Georgia, that's three of the four right there. What's the final four that you want to see? I want to see Cincinnati play. Me too. I, so I do want I. to see Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Cincinnati. Those are the four I want. I really want to see Cincinnati, and I really want to see Michigan. Yeah. 
Michigan, Alabama would be fun. Cincinnati, Georgia would be really entertaining. And I think because we we just keep hearing about these group of five schools that complain all the time. I want to see one of them get in there and see what they do. And likely get smoked. Probably. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. You got it. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Mizzou basketball coach Conzo Martin right around the corner. It's the Bragg and Rights game. We'll talk about that and last night's win next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. The Mizzou basketball team came away with a victory over Paul Quinn University last night in Columbia. A 32-point victory, 91-59. Kobe Brown with the first 2020 performance in over 40 years for the Tigers. And joining us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is the head coach of the Missouri Tigers, Conzo Martin. Coach with Michelle Smallman, this is Randy Carricker. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Everything's terrific. Were you surprised when you learned that it had been more than 40 years since you'd had a 2020 guy at Mizzou? I was because there have been so many great ones that played here, especially guys that rebound the ball, played around the rim, tough physical brand. But I was very happy for Kobe as well because he's put the time into it. Coach, your victory last night comes on the heels of a loss to Wichita State, but your team is now 9-3 and three in their last 12 games following a loss. And as a coach, you have to love your team's response following adversity. One of the biggest things we, we talk about really is taking responsibility of our actions and then the accountability piece, what can we do to get better. And, and it's always hard, you know, after losses. And I think more than anything, I've, I've always tried to be a guy that have compassion after losses and try to figure out what do we need to do, what do we need to commit to to be successful. And I think our guys have the ability to respond. Conzo, one of the things that uh, I know college basketball coaches like to accomplish during this non-conference part of the schedule, and you have about a month left of that, is to get your rotation to eight or nine guys. How are you feeling right now about where that is for your team? We're still working on it. You know, I, I think uh, Amari Davis is a guy who can score the ball, but he's also a guy that can get the ball to the floor quickly. And he's, he's the type of guy, when you put pressure on him, he does a tremendous job of attacking the rim and shooting the pull-up. I've, I've been very impressed with his pull-up game. So we kind of moved him over at the point a little bit, and we took uh, Jerron Coleman off of him. We're trying to play Anton Brookshire more at the point guard position. But so, so I like where we are, but I think the biggest key for us is just really trying to get Jordan Wilmore in rotation because he's a guy I think we need down the stretch, and it's just a matter of us continue to, to pour into him make sure he believes that he's a guy that can really help our program. Coach Jawan Gordon, it's good to see him playing the transfer from Kansas State. What does he bring to this Missouri Tigers team? Well, he's a good all-around player. And the one thing I've said to him, uh, because he's one of those guys, when you, when you watch him in the summertime, you watch him leading up into games, he's a guy that can do a lot of things. He's improved his three-point shot. I think he made three last night. He's also a guy that can attack the rim. He gets, in, gets steals, get in the pass lane, and he has the ability to be an elite defender. But with all that being said, I said, I said to him, I said, man, nobody would know you that this type of talent because you don't showcase it all the time. And I think oftentimes he bogs himself down mentally for what he wants to be and how he wants to play or he have his kind of, you know, sometimes guys have their moves preconceived in their mind what I'll do before I get the ball. So what I just try to say to him, allow the game to come to you and let it flow because he's a guy that has a lot of parts to his game and he has to, have, he has to slow down and allow himself to showcase all of it. 
Do you think his experience in the Big 12 has helped his transition at all? I think so. I think so because he understands the level. Because when, you, when you're talking this level, and again, everybody can play everywhere. There's talent everywhere. You have teams with fifth and sixth years, some seven-year singers now because of the, the COVID situation. But everybody can play basketball. And, and with grassroots basketball, everybody played against everybody. So you're not afraid of anybody. You're, you're not a freshman all of a guy when you come into college. So in his case, he understands the level and what it takes. And again, like I told him, I said, man, a junior in college, that's a lot of years and a lot of games under your belt. And we need to utilize that and maximize it. Conzo Martin with us on 101 ESPN. And, Coach, I want to get your read on how different the SEC is. From when you were coaching at Tennessee to now, it seems to me, with a half dozen teams in the top 25, that as a conference, schools have made more of a commitment to basketball. How different is basketball in the SEC now as opposed to when you were coaching for the Vols? Oh, it's high level. I mean, it's high level. And I thought it was, I thought it was good. That I think the key where you just said the commitment – because we talked about as coaches when we when we have our coaches meetings, and we would always think that there there was it wasn't the level of commitment to basketball. And I think Greg Sank and his administrative team, but Dan Levers have done a tremendous job of making basketball very important. And um, you can see the results. So, but you, you're talking about a league with, with high level talent, high level coaching. Probably in the last 10, 12 years, has produced the most pros, and that says a lot about a league. Coach, we talked earlier about your team's ability to respond and their mental makeup. What other characteristics do you want this team to have when you look at their overall identity? What are the, the four things we all talk about is play hard, play tough, play smart, and play together. I think those are very important. And then there are certain things we say under those, but those are the four things. But I think outside of that is, is, is being grateful. Uh, and, and what I mean by grateful, because there are a lot of people that want and My mom used to use these sayings all the time. There are a lot of people that would love to be in your shoes, whatever that is. Uh, there are some people that have less than. So appreciate everything you have and be grateful for because don't take for granted that you're on scholarship and you're an athlete and you have a lot of things that are offered to you. Appreciate those things and understand these things can be taken away from you through life, whatever situations, death, sickness, a lot of stuff takes place. So I think when you approach it with, with a grateful mindset and have compassion for people that are less than and unfortunate, I think you have a true appreciation for what this thing is all about at the end of the day. Because like I said to our guys, at 35, you'll probably stop bouncing the ball. Now you're trying to live the next 50 years. Have you put yourself in position to live the next 50 years? Conzo, you have a game against Liberty on Thursday night, and then you have Eastern Illinois at home on December 7th. And then Mizzou Nation is excited about the KU game. We all grew up with the, the Mizzou-Kansas rivalry, but your players didn't. And, and I, you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but will this be one of the bigger games for you at Mizzou simply because it's the first game that uh, you've played them at Lawrence since the, the Mizzou left the, the Big 12? I think that's safe to say. Very excited about it. And like you said, I can't get ahead of myself here. we got two before that. But, you know, those type of games uh, – the energy around those games, even the players that played in those games 50, 60 years ago, they'll never forget those games because of the magnitude, the rivalry, uh, the scratching, the clawing, all that thing, the fan for everything that goes with it makes it a great atmosphere, and I'm looking forward to it. Coach, after Kansas, you have Utah, and then you have another rivalry game right around the corner with Illinois here in St. Louis. And the bragging rights game is always one of the best events on the St. Louis sports calendar. From an environment standpoint, you've coached in a lot of different uh, arenas, a lot of different situations. Where does the bragging rights game rank for you? Uh, I, I would safely say, because I, I hadn't played in the Kansas game yet, but I would safely say for me as a coach, it, it's probably the number one just because of 
the location, the energy behind it. Uh, and obviously, I played in games like that as a college player. But 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 as far as a coach, I think that's probably the number one uh, venue setting that I've been a part of. Well, we're looking forward to it. And, Coach, it's always good to talk to you. And great to have you on with us. A good win last night. Go get them against Liberty on Thursday. And hopefully we'll be able to talk as the conference season unfolds. Thank you all for having me. Have a great day. You too, Coach. That is Conzo Martin joining us on 101 ESPN and the game at Lynchburg, Virginia on Thursday night against Liberty. And then back home in Columbia at Mizzou Arena on December 7th. And then listen to this, Michelle. You've got Kansas at Lawrence. Mm -hmm. You get Utah home at Columbia, then you've got the Illinois game, and then you open up conference play against Kentucky. That's quite the stretch. Yeah, <laughs> so he'll find out a lot about his team, but he he's a really good coach. He's gotten, he, I, I don't know that there's been a guy that's had more bad luck, starting with Michael Porter at Mizzou, yeah. than Conzo Martin during his tenure with the Tigers. Based on what we've seen from Michael Porter Jr. in the NBA, imagine if we would have gotten 50% of that right. at Mizzou. What yeah. What position the program could be in and now the same thing with Porter by the way if you haven't seen back surgery and he is out indefinitely and maybe out for the year with the same things that ailed him with the Tigers it's really unfortunate because when we've seen him shine he really can turn it on he's super talented that's Michelle I'm Randy and that is today's fresh take with Conzo Martin on 101 ESPN coming up we're going to talk some blues hockey Darren Pang we're going to ask him how the blues will fare in this four-game Skeen, S-K-E-I-N. That's part of a schedule. Again, You like that? That's a great word. Thank you. Uh, it's against uh, the Florida teams. And Panger is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Character and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. The Blues booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Boardwalk has three convenient locations, Manchester, Crestwood, or St. Peter. Or visit online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. The St. Louis Blues have played 21 games. They're already beyond the quarter pole of the 21-22 season. They play the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight here on 101 ESPN. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and into the Blues booth with Darren Pang, analyst for Bally Sports on Blues Broadcast. Panger, good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, good morning, Randy and Michelle. I'm doing, uh, I'm doing real well. Um, obviously looking forward. To, this kind of matchup tonight is a, is a fun one, you know. The, I mean, Tampa Bay. Let's face it; they're they're just a fun team to watch. They they bring out the best in you, and and uh, I think for the Blues, they've got to feel pretty well, pretty good after you know trailing in the last game and then coming back the way that they came back against uh, against Columbus. Well, Panger, what do the Blues need to do to have success against the Lightning? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think you know, number one, I think the Blues can do themselves a favor by starting games on time. You know, I think it's kind of been documented now that uh, things had to be said after that first period. Well, you, as you said, you're at that quarter pole right now. You know, you shouldn't have to have it, whether it's a coach coming in or a leader on the team and, you know, breaking sticks or slamming sticks or getting sour at each other or saying we got to get going. I mean, those those are the kind of things that should be taken care of by now. So I, I would say start, it, start the game on time, Michelle, and start every period on time again and start setting that tone that, you know, especially at, at home, that you're coming into our building and, and uh, it's not going to be an easy run for you. So um, all that being said, you know what? They've, they've kept their head afloat. They've kept it above water. A lot of teams haven't done that when not playing well. So, uh, 
you know, you got to look at some of the positives, and that is the fact that they're they're still in a pretty good spot right now, and they haven't nearly played their best hockey. Darren Pang with us, um, 101 ESPN. And Panger, you were, you are a goalie. I see the car shield ads. You're a goalie. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I got to ask you about Ville Husso. Has he earned himself more of an opportunity to play? Yeah, I think I think he has. Um, you know, and I think there was a good chance that he was going to go back-to-back last week, uh, except that he had a little maybe a little fatigue after coming off the COVID list and not playing a lot and uh, winning at home. And then what we went on the road, I think that was Dallas. Um, so, but, but yeah, and, and I, I don't think that's an entire indictment on, on, uh, on Jordan. I think Jordan has faced probably more quality chances. I don't know. Maybe, maybe because Jordan's been around and he's won that there's a little bit of a safety net. The players have got to tighten it up, I think in front of him a little bit more, but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's why you battle for the position for if one guy's getting on a roll and, and uh, clearly, Vili Husso has is, is got himself on a roll, especially on home ice. Then, uh, you know, my feeling would be that uh, that you hand you hand him the ball right now and, and let him run with it a little bit. Panger, we talked a lot about the Blues' depth on this team. I just didn't think it was going to be tested so much, especially <laughs> early on. Whether it's Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen, now David Perron, it just seems like this Blues team cannot catch a break. Yeah, you you are right. I mean, there's probably other teams out there that are you know crying the same Blues kind of, but. Um, but yeah, they I mean, you know, even Costins, you know, has a good opportunity to, you know, to, to take off and he gets hurt what in practice and then James Neal, uh, on IR and, um, but you know, it's, it's, it, it is something that, that I think for, for any team out there right now with COVID, it's, you don't know about COVID. You don't know about the testing. You don't know about, you know, obviously when the schedule gets tough, you're going to really, you're, you're going to really expect the thoroughbreds to get around that track a lot, and that that takes its toll on everybody. So, um, so yes, the, it has been challenged. And I mean, the good news is, is that you're able to call up. You're right. I mean, Tyler Bozak's hardly played this year, and he's got lots of hockey left in in, in his tank. And then uh, Dakota Joshua, and we've got a lot of guys in the minors that are playing real well. And now we're going to see Logan Brown. I mean, here's the St. Louis Blues kid that. Uh, been kind of begging to get out of Ottawa and to give him a chance. Well, now he's got a golden opportunity here, you know, with the Blues, and he's and he, obviously it's very important. Like Perunovic, uh, when he got called up to make a good first impression, to be ready to play the game, to be ready to battle, and uh, and be prepared for this moment, so that when you're, you know, when the puck comes on your stick, he's a good, he's got a good head on him. He can make a play, he sees the ice real well. Uh, but this is a great opportunity for Logan Brown to to make a a real good statement here. We know that David Perron is a veteran. We know a lot that he brings to this team. But for tactically, what are the Blues missing when David Perron is not on the ice? Well, it, it, tenacity, I think, might be the best way to describe the way he plays. Um, I, I, I've been really impressed with, with David's kind of his, his commitment to the little things in the game, uh, the line changes, the, um, you know, there's probably a time in his career where, he had that puck in the offensive zone and it was a minute and a half and he probably wanted to stay out there and get that next shot. And, you know, now I see a player leading by example and getting the next fresh legs out on the ice. And, you know, that speaks volumes, but with the puck, it's the tenacity that he has, the ability to, to get in there on the offensive side of it, hold on to pucks, uh, be relentless on pucks. And I, I think it's contagious. Whenever I see David Perron, you know, I can feel the bench to my right if we're at home and I'm between the benches. You can kind of feel the murmuring of, you know, come on, next line up, let's go, let's keep it going. And that's exactly what you want. So besides his goal-scoring ability and his playmaking ability, I, I think the best word I could describe is just his tenacious ability. 
Panger, if you're a coach, obviously you're taking a look at one game at a time. But if you get up to 5,000 feet and you see Tampa Bay tonight, then at Tampa, then at Florida, and then Florida here next week to get to 25 games, what do you want to get out of these next four? Um, Realistically speaking. Well, I, I, I really believe that your expectations are going in there and getting eight points. I mean, I, I don't think anybody goes into it saying, oh, well, let's split this and, you know, hopefully we get uh, – um, you know, hopefully we, you know, hopefully we win a couple of games. Well, that's not the that's not the attitude these guys have. But you, you have to win the first one to gain momentum. When, if, you know, tonight's game. That's why I say tonight's game is a very very big game. And it seems like the bigger the target, um, the bigger the mission, the better the Blues are. Um, they play. They they've always been that way. You bring in the best team in the league the Blues bring their best game. You bring in the worst team in the league, usually the Blues bring their worst game. And that's just, it's natural to be that way. But I look for the Blues to get into this game tonight against Tampa Bay, take, you know, really take control of how you want to play the game. And everything you talk about on the board, everything you work on in practice, it's got your attention the minute that you wake up in the morning, um, unlike other games. So um, you win one, then you win the next one, and then after that, you know, then then you really, truly, you you, 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 you know, then you can figure things out after that. But I think you have to win that first one. All right. Panger, as a golf guy, I got to ask you this question because Tiger Woods is speaking to the media now ahead of his Hero World Challenge. He told Golf Digest that his days as a regular on the PGA Tour are over. And we, I think we can safely and fairly say that a guy like Mario Lemieux is a what-if story. If he hadn't been hurt, hadn't contracted cancer. Same with Joe Montana, who got hurt when he was like 32. Is Tiger to you a what-if? Because he is to me. He's, I don't think that as great as he was that we saw everything that Tiger was capable of because of the injuries. So what if? What if he didn't get hurt? What if he didn't have a bad ACL? Um, what if his personal life, you know, didn't occur? Um, boy, oh boy. Well, I, I think we're seeing more than 18 major wins. You know, I, I truly believe that we're at we're at that 20 mark, and and he would have passed Jack by this particular point. And now it it looks like that's going to be pretty secure. So uh, all I know is when I saw Tiger swinging the club uh, a couple of weeks ago, when he posted on social media, there was a certain buzz out there that was Ben Hoganish when you know when Hogan came out, out of that car crash in the fifties and came back and won uh, majors after that. So um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't write him off just yet, Randy. I, <laughs> I, I, there's something about great greatness, and uh, just when you want to lay them down in the weeds, they they just pop up and you know, rear their heads and come up with something special. Yeah, and I, I think most of us are rooting for that, and we we hope yeah. it happens. Hey, Panger, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. Have a good one tonight, and we'll be tuned in on Bally Sports. Yeah, thanks, Randy and Michelle. Uh, you as well. It's going to be on ESPN Plus tonight, oh, by the okay. way. I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. See, I, I, I just count on you guys. I was with my friend uh, John Butchergrass, who's calling call the game. Uh, we brought him out to grab some chicken parm last night. Um, <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> All right. Enjoy the game. Okay. Have, have a good one. Thank you. So the Blues yeah. here on 101 ESPN, pregame at 6, and then an ESPN Plus contest, and I hope that... ESPN Plus gets to the opening faceoff. Randy. Well, the other day, they were playing on Friday, 2.30 game, uh-huh. and I get tuned in five minutes before game time. It said event will start shortly. They finally got to the broadcast a minute 20 into the game, and the Blues were up one nothing. 
Got to get their own time. I would say that if you are televising an event, it's a good idea to be there for the start of said event. It seems like a requirement, actually. Yeah. You can count on 101 ESPN being here for the opening face-off tonight. And Andrew just gives us word that Javi Baez has signed with the Tigers. A six-year deal. Did you have the money? Six 140 years, million. 140 mil for Javi Baez to Detroit. So that leaves Correa and Story as the two shortstops. And the Yankees want a shortstop. And the Astros want a shortstop. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with the remaining shortstops on the market. And does anybody get 325? Does Correa get 325 like Seager did? I would think it would be close. I would think so, too. Yeah. He, well, if you're the Yankees, you got to give them that, right? I wonder if they're more inter- – well, I wonder if, based on their financial situation of stories, the target. That might be. Mark Feinstein, by the way, of MLB, breaking that Javi Baez story. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up with the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Let's fight here on 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman. It's 8.33. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Carl is Randy's challenger today. Good morning, Carl. How are you? Good morning. How are you, Michelle? I'm doing well. Thanks so much. Hey, Carl. Good to see you. Thank you, Andrew. Always, always a good day when we have a little Billy Madison on the show. So, Carl, what is your favorite sport? Uh, I would have to say hockey at this particular point. Okay, well, we have one hockey question for you. Only one, though. I didn't say I was good at it. I just said <laughs> I enjoy it. Okay, well, good luck to you, Carl. Thank you. All right, question number one. Acquired from the Toronto Blue Jays, which former Cardinals pitcher has played for 14 major league teams? Was it Mark Zepchinski, a.k.a. Scrabble, Edwin Jackson, or Troy Gloss? I'm going to go with... Uh, what was the second one? Your options are Mark Zepchinski, Edwin Jackson, or Troy Gloss. I think it's Edwin Jackson. All right, question number two. In 2019, Jordan Bennington jump-started the Blues with a shutout in his first career start. Which team did Bennington and the Blues blank three to nothing? Was it the Florida Panthers, the Philadelphia Flyers, or the Tampa Bay Lightning? It was the Flyers. Mm, Carl, good job on the hockey question. You know what's up. Brian Kelly has the most wins as a head coach in Notre Dame football history. Which Fighting Irish head coach did he pass to get to number one? Was it Frank Leahy, Lou Holtz, or Newt Rockney? I really think it's Lou Holtz, but it may be Rockney. Uh, I'm going to go with Lou Holtz. Question number four. In 2009, Mizzou basketball made a run to the Elite Eight, defeating Cornell, Marquette, and Memphis. Which team did they lose to to end their tournament run? Was it UConn, Duke, or Butler? Man, went to Mizzou. Uh, Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to go with 2009. Um... I'm going to go with Duke. I think 
bit was when they had, yeah, I think I'm going to go with Duke. Final answer, Carl? Yeah. All Duke. right. Checking our score, bringing in Randy. What year was Norfolk State? Was that 12? I think it was, was it 2015? I don't remember. Randy might know. Randy will know, but that was such a heartbreaker. I loved that Mizzou Ugh. Tigers team. Sorry, Carl, to bring it up. Yeah, it was terrible. That was a... Randy, do you remember what year Nor- the Norfolk State loss was for Mizzou? Was that... It was, uh, it was 2012. I thought it was 12. Yeah. That was such a heartbreaker. That was, yeah. That, that, that was a fun Mizzou Tigers basketball team. You, that's a big statement for you. Well, wasn't that Kim English in the squad? It was, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a fun, that was an entertaining Mizzou basketball team. It was. Randy, say good morning to Carl. Good morning, Carl. How are you? Good morning, Randy. Randy! <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That's an old fast lane thing. It is. I yeah. remember. Oh, that's right. You were... You were the, one of the key people in the fast lane. <laughs> I was, in fact, a member of the fast lane. The, the two key people of the fast lane doing morning sound. Look at that? us. <laughs> Who thought we'd be here? Not me. <laughs> Not me here we are, Randy. <laughs> that should have been one of the questions, I think, with Michelle Smallman on the fast lane. That's right. Can confirm I was. Gosh, doesn't that feel like a million years ago, Randy? Yeah, it does. It really does. Question number one. Acquired from the Toronto Blue Jays, which former Cardinals pitcher has played for 14 major league teams? Acquired from Toronto. You got it, yes. I believe it might have been in the three-way deal. So I don't know that he ever even pitched for Toronto, but I'm going to go with Edwin Jackson. All right, Randy, in 2019, Jordan Bennington jump-started the Blues with a shutout in his first career start. Which team did Bennington and the Blues blank three to nothing? I believe this was on the trip where they went to Jack's Bar in Philadelphia. And I believe it was the Flyers. Gloria played all night long. The infamous Gloria trip. Randy, Brian Kelly has the most wins as a head coach in Notre Dame football history. Which fighting Irish head coach did he pass to get to number one? Okay, they got rid. Well, I won't say they got rid of. I'll say they got rid of Lou Holtz because he was only one win behind Newt Rockney. Final answer. Final answer. Last question, Randy. It wasn't Charlie Weiss. I'm saying it wasn't Charlie Weiss. In 2009, Mizzou basketball made a run to the Elite Eight, defeating Cornell, Marquette, and Memphis. Which team did they lose to to end their tournament run? If I'm not mistaken, I was watching that game, and it was the eventual champion UConn Huskies, I think. Did Carl take down Randy on this Tuesday? Andrew, let him know. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Just win, baby. Whew, what a performance from Randy Carricker this morning. The Jack, no lifeline. All four correct. Huh, how about that? Huh. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> what a day for Carl to come on, huh? I got to tell you, Carl, I really appreciate you. You have, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. You have made us laugh a lot today. Okay, Randy, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. Play your machine. Go ahead. Oh, do I get to do it again? Yeah. Okay. I think I... Uh...
All right, Ricky Bobby, let's calm down. Carl, he beat you four to two. As you know, he got all four correct. So Edwin Jackson was the former Cardinals pitcher acquired by the Toronto Blue Jays that has played for 14 major league teams. The team that Bennington and the Blues blanked three to nothing in his first career start was, in fact, the Philadelphia Flyers. Newt Rockney is the fighting Irish head coach that former Notre Dame head football coach Brian Kelly passed to have the most wins in, in franchise history. I'm singing Wake Up the Echoes this way. <laughs> Do you know any of the words to that? Not one, except Wake Up the Echoes. Isn't it here, here for old Notre Dame? That sounds right. That is correct. <laughs> then I don't know one word after that. Um, and I only know that, I think, from Rudy. Anyway. In 2009, Mizzou basketball made a run to the Elite Eight. They defeated Cornell, Marquette, and Memphis, and then they were stopped in their tracks by UConn, unfortunately. Carl, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing, and have a great day. Guys, have a wonderful morning. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Carl, good to have him with us on 101 ESPN. Carl was fun. Yeah, that was good. That was, that was a good fight. That was a hard fight. Randy, you got a four correct, no lifeline. It was not difficult for you. You did not break how, one spot. How many did Carl get right? Two. See? It, but you, but Carl be, almost got the Notre Dame one. I was right? going to say, to be fair, Carl was going back and forth on number three. And Who, did he go with Holtz? Was it? He went with Holtz. Yeah, that was kind of a weird thing with uh, with Lou Holtz because they said that he retired or resigned, and he wound up actually going and coaching somewhere else. But he was one win behind Rockney, and the word was that Notre Dame didn't want anybody to pass New Rockney. Now, obviously, they have a different administration in place, but yeah, Lou uh, Lou could have passed Newt and. That could have been the answer. It could have. By the way, oh, gosh. 65780, if you have ever known anybody named Newt, have you ever shaken the hand or known anybody named Newt, K-N-U-T-E? Uh, I have not. Not that spelling, but Newt Gingrich is a Newt, but different Newt. N-E-W-T, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's the only other Newt that immediately pops to mind. I wasn't even thinking. <laughs> he, he wasn't top of mind for me. So, yeah, 65780, if you know of a newt if you've met a newt i think newt needs a comeback i believe i've met a dog named newt before from a notre, a notre dame fan <laughs> oh interesting yeah can you imagine a little baby named newt you know that kid's gonna be tough yeah you don't name your kid newt unless you know it's going to occupy some certain characteristics very good point toughness being one of them that's michelle i'm randy coming up we're going to head back to the brown and crouppen celebrity line and our friend mike claiborne will join us to talk a little steven Matz and more on 101 espn we're right back to the character and smallman podcast on 101 espn <laughs> You can see and hear the great work of Mike Claiborne and his staff at Claves Online at YouTube. Just go to YouTube and search Mike Claiborne and you'll go to Claves Online. And Michael joins us now on 101 ESPN via the Broad and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Everything's good. We understand the belated happy birthday wishes are in order. Well, uh, believe it or not, I had another one and uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And uh, I don't have to worry about it until this time next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy belated, Claims. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you. We have... How was your workout the other night? I hope you got it all in. I did. I did. You know, it was that post-Thanksgiving. I had to get it in. I'm sorry that I missed you. 
All right, well, we'll, we'll figure it out. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll rain check. Uh, Cleves, we had Stephen Matz on the show earlier this morning, and in listening to his introductory press conference yesterday and speaking with him today, he really does feel like he's going to be a perfect fit for the Cardinals, not only because of his skill set, but because of his personality. I, I would agree. And, and while I don't know him that well, I, I think from a, watching his ability to pitch, and with the defense he's going to have behind him, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to fit in nicely. Um, where in the rotation, who knows? Uh, but I, I think that two things I'm hoping here. A, you know, he continues to grow. I mean, he's 30 years old. And, and you know, a lot of guys don't learn how to pitch until they hit that age mark. And, and the second thing is, if he can be durable, you know, we, we talk about these days, oh, man, if we can get a guy and give us 150 innings. Well, that's five innings. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need more than that these days, and I'm sorry. I, I am not a believer in this five and fly. If we can get them through the order twice, no, we need more. Because if you don't have more, then that means your bullpen will be taxed, and all of a sudden you're going to be the San Diego Padres of 2021. And, Claves, one of the things that Moe said yesterday is that he is on the prowl for a few more relievers, and they didn't have enough depth. And there's nothing wrong with having three or four guys down at Memphis that are capable of coming up and pitching for you. You need to have, in this day and age, rather than just a 13-man pitching staff, you really need to have about a 20-man pitching staff. I agree, Randy, and I don't think you want to be in a position where you were last year where you had to go find some guys who nobody else wanted to come in and shore you up. And you think about Wade LeBlanc, you think about Justin Miller, you think about Luis Garcia. Uh, Those guys really were difference makers on how Cardinals got in the postseason. But if you have those guys already in your organization, that's a better setup to me because I I think we were more lucky than good with regard to those guys finding a good landing spot. Claves, we've seen a flurry of activity, to say the least, in Major League Baseball. But I want to ask you about one deal specifically. What's your reaction to Max Scherzer getting three years, $130 million from the Mets? It it was a Um, head-scratcher. This is a guy who... He, who's a, a phenomenal pitcher. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer. There's no question about it. But this is a guy who said his arm, he, he couldn't pitch the last game of the season. So at his age, you have to wonder what he has left. Uh, and certainly the demand in New York, because the Mets, they want to win right now. Uh, that, that's a lot. Uh, I, I would have taken a, the two deals I would have taken a pass on is him and, and Kyle Seeger, uh, Corey Seeger rather, mm-hmm. because you know, Corey Seager has played 140 games, more than 140 games twice in his career. Now, you take away the, the, the COVID season, but think about that. He's been in the game seven years, and we take away the one year. So six years, he's only played a, a more than 140 games twice. Uh, that's a lot of money to invest in a guy who, quite honestly, has been a little fragile. Uh, but, you know, it, it just goes to show you that some people just don't learn from some of the prior mistakes that teams have made, but you know that's not my problem. Hey, Claves, another one is Byron Buxton getting the seven years, hundred million extension from the Twins. He's played more than ninety-two games one time in seven yeah. years. Yeah. Now, I, I guess in their case, they're banking on potential, and I think I would say the potential is he's going to get hurt again <laughs> right. more than the fact he's going to play. So it, it's it's. They're, they're head scratchers, and, and I know that they, they think they're doing the right thing. Uh, they're making a statement that they want to contend, and I get all of that. But, man, oh, man. And, you know, even you look at the NBA, you know, Denver 
went out and signed Michael Porter Jr., and they didn't have to, by the way, mm-hmm. and signed him to a deal. And what happens? He goes down with what? A back. The same back that shut him down in Missouri. The same back that basically took him off the floor his first year with the Nuggets along with the knee. And now the back is flared up again. You know, once you have one, they, they don't go away. So, you know, when teams do this, you just say, well, okay, give me a real – let, let's quit with the Ouija board here and rolling the dice. Let's get something that's a little bit more substantive. Klebs, as I watch all of this free agency unfold and I see Seeger get his 325 and Javi Baez just signed for $140 million, and even Matt's getting 44 over four, I have to believe that the economic model that baseball has set up is working for somebody. I can't figure out why owners would sign all these guys for all of this money. Heck, the Rangers themselves spent $560 million, more than a half a billion dollars on four players. And now you're going to lock the players out because you don't like the way the system's working? Yeah, it's it's something that I, I'm not totally familiar with on why. Uh, you know, I was talking to Bob Nightingale the other day, and he mentioned that like 14 players are making somewhere north of a billion dollars. And that means there's a whole lot of other guys who aren't making that money and making as much. So maybe they increase the minimum a little bit. I've always felt like what they should do to to not not to squeeze out that veteran player who, you know, has probably got seven, eight years in who can help you. Why don't we have an exception rule where, you know what, you can spend eight, 10 million bucks on one guy and it doesn't count against your luxury tax or anything else. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it works in the NBA. You know, it, it certainly works in the NBA. Uh, and I think it will work in baseball because the game is trending so young that there's nobody to teach these guys how this game actually could be played with success. And, and that's a greater concern to me, uh, that there's a place for those players. But for some reason, they think, well, you know, these guys cost too much. I, I have news for you. You want that guy in September and October on your ball club that that can get you through it. You want that guy teaching younger players how to be pros. Uh, And it's it's an element in the game that if we don't figure it out soon, we're going to be scratching our heads wondering what happened to this game because none of these guys know what they're doing. And you wish, Claves, that both parties could come and have a compromise and a rational conversation and get this done because it does seem like there are some things that need to be worked out. But you have so many exciting things happening in baseball, and it's all going to get wiped away. All that that excitement and goodwill that you've garnered with fans is going to get wiped away as soon as they stop. I, I agree with you, Michelle. And, you know, when you look around the game, you've got so many interesting stories, whether it's Otani or Mike Trout or some of these other good young players that we've had a chance to watch. And and they've allowed them to, as they say, let the kids play, have a little bit more fun. But also, you know, the issues at hand, they've been on the table for, for, for who knows how long. So there isn't anything cropping up that should be a deal breaker. This is something that, you know, both sides are going to bleed a little bit here. Let's get in the room. Get it figured out. They're, they're, they're reasonably smart people. You know, the only person that's, that was around the last time they were doing the deal was Rob Manford. You know, now he's a commissioner. So at least you have a, a, a modicum of experience that knows how to at least work on this. And if you remember, that last deal that they did, everybody thought was a good, good idea. We had labor peace. Everything was working. Players are making money. The teams are making money. 
so it, there's no excuse on not getting this thing resolved well before spring training. Claves, one more thing from me, and you're a sports historian. You've mm-hmm. known a lot of college football coaches over the years, and I think we're both safe in saying this is the wildest coaching carousel in college football history, and it'll never get wilder than it is right now. I, I agree, and thank goodness for the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these kids can now move on as well. But if you're Brian Kelly, and, and I understand why he, he took the job, I, you know, 10 million reasons is one, and two, he can win there. He can win it. He could win at LSU. He could never win at Notre Dame. Notre, Notre Dame has been irrelevant since the '90s as far as winning championships. And I think him going to that conference and he'll have his work cut out for him will, will make the SEC even more intriguing. But I, I think this coaching thing, the domino effect, takes place. It's going to give some young guys a chance, and it's going to give certain other guys one last kick at the can uh, as far as having a chance to have success. You know, I'm a guy who kind of likes anarchy from a distance, and I think we have that, and uh, I'm okay with it because it's going to make everybody accountable, and I think that's what we all want. We want coaches accountable. We want universities accountable, and the kids need to be accountable as well, uh, and I think we're going to have all of that. But it also lends to say, is the NFL, is, is the college coaching more attractive now than the NFL as far as salaries because they pay well? I, I would you say have more so. Control. Yeah, we we've you have talked. More yeah, we, we've talked in the past about Brian Kelly or Lincoln Riley going to the NFL, and here they are moving to other schools for more money. Yeah, you have. If if you succeed at a blue blood, Saban's going to be there forever. Dabo's going to be there forever. Harbaugh apparently can be there forever if he wants. Ryan Day if he wants. Kirby Smart can be there now. Auburn. We're we're just talking about the dozen blue blood programs. The other ones. All have been open in the last two years. Auburn, Texas, USC, mm-hmm. Notre Dame, LSU, Florida, Oklahoma. And obviously, uh, USC was open because things were going bad. Texas was. Auburn wasn't that bad in Florida. But the other ones just left. So if I'm with you. If you have a winning record, if, if you are doing what your boosters expect, you can keep those jobs for a long, long time and for more money. If you're Notre Dame, do you call Urban Meyer? I don't think I do. I, yeah, I, I, I think he's a guy that's going to be, have a say-so in some of this and just kick the tires because it's not going well for him in Jacksonville. Uh, but there's a handful of those guys that might circle back. But then again, like I said earlier, I think Notre Dame is a, is a program you just can't win the big one at. And, you know, I know they talk about how tough it is to get in there and all of that. And they've gotten some good players. You know, like I said, Brian Kelly's done a tremendous job. He's the all-time winning as coach. But, man, when they get to that certain speed bump, they have no next gear against the Alabamas and the Ohio States and some of the other schools. I wonder if the standard that Notre Dame holds itself to is what's stopping them from winning because Urban Meyer would be a good fit there. But how do you reconcile what Notre Dame represents with what we've seen in the headlines from Urban Meyer? He's not bringing Aaron Hernandez types to Notre Dame. It's not a fit, right? No, that's not going to happen. But, you know, here's the question. What does Notre Dame represent now? I mean, I I know that they they feel like they have high standards, and, and maybe they do. But, you know, it's one of those situations where Lou Holtz ain't there anymore. Jerome Bettis isn't running the ball. You don't have Rocket Ishmael. We don't have any of those guys really put that program back on the map. They've had some some spurts of guys who've come through there, but they've had more guys that haven't lived up to the hype 
because of the fact it was Notre Dame, and all of a sudden, because he's there, he's supposed to turn the program around. It just didn't work as much as I think they thought. And having said that, Brian Kelly got the most out of a situation that most people couldn't succeed in. So I just went to their website, Claves, and it says the University of Notre Dame is a private research university inspired by its Catholic character to be a powerful force for good in the world, not talent first. Yeah, well, you, I think they, they they always play that card when things don't go right for them, and I get it. I think if I had it in my back pocket, I'd say, hey, we want to just turn out smart people who help save the world compared to good left tackles. So I, I understand that. And I – Go ahead, but their fan base has a, had a, has a greater expectation, and, and that's where this is going to come into play because I think the other thing that comes into play here is you're Notre Dame and you let somebody outbid you for a coach? Come on now. I mean, they always talk about how good their, their alumni are, their alumni association, it, and it is a very good – it really is. They travel well. They do all the right things. But for LSU to roll in and, and swipe this guy – and, again, maybe he thought he could have a chance to win at LSU. But $10 million bucks for a football coach, that, that's a lot of money. And, uh, Mike, I always love this story. And it uh, goes back to the 1950s when the University of Oklahoma hired a new president. And he said, we want to build a university that our football team can be proud of. And that's what LSU is. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, but you know what? In fairness, and we've seen it at some of these institutions. You can look at Duke in basketball and some other schools in football. Enrollment goes through the roof. Popularity goes through the roof. And all of a sudden, there's foul money everywhere when you do win. So there is something to be said for that. Hey, no and doubt about it. You can build a lot more science buildings thanks to the Alabama football program. Yep. Now, getting people to go in the building, that's a whole different story. We know that the Ferrario faceoff is up at Klabes Online. What else do you have coming up? Well, we're going to have Huddle Up with Howard Richards a little later in the week, and we have a very interesting guest that we're going to roll out for that. And, uh, you know, we will kind of do a little bit more baseball as far as this hot stove, man. I mean, this has been great for the game to have all these free agent signings and some trades and things of that nature. So we'll have a little baseball flavor for you a little later in the week once the lockout begins. Always good to hear your voice, sir. Thank you very much for the time. You guys have a great week. Take care. You too. That's Mike Claiborne on 101 ESPN. Coming up, it's happened again. Man, this hot stove is hot this season in baseball. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by... Together Credit Union, here for St. Louis, here to help you achieve more with your money. It has been a huge several days in Major League Baseball with all the free agent signings, but those days might not even compare to what will happen tomorrow night, Michelle. Jeff Passan tweeted this, Randy, about 30 minutes ago. He said the next round of collective bargaining talks starts in about 90 minutes. Very little optimism emerged from Monday session. The refrain from almost everyone involved was the same. When the clock turns from 11.59 p.m. Wednesday to 12 a.m. Thursday, a lockout is almost certain. And I wonder if the owners, the, the owners do seem to always be really dug in. And the players have a new negotiator who is dug in, and he said, hey, I'm going to make people mad at me, and he doesn't care if people think that he's a jerk. So I could see this thing going a long time with players because they did get 
basically run over last time and did not get a good deal. They didn't get any more money. They didn't get any less time in terms of arbitration or free agency. They got chefs in every clubhouse. And that didn't work out for them. And it was a poorly executed plan on the part of the players. But the problem is when you get into a negotiation, you've got to be willing to give something up. And the players don't really have anything to give up. All they have to to provide right now is their services and withholding their services to get what they want. And we saw the preamble to these negotiations, which was getting the 2020 season jump started. And we saw how that worked out. Neither side wanted to concede the the. They just despise each other. Both sides Mm -hmm. do not like each other. They do not want to come together and make any compromise. The state of the game and the way fans feel about this doesn't even seem to be a consideration. Or the way that baseball looks, locking themselves out or or having a work stoppage amidst all of this fighting. They don't care how it looks. And it's a real shame because so many fun things are happening Mm -hmm. in baseball. We just talked about this with Mike Claiborne. You're seeing all this activity, big money being spent for star players, moving teams. Fans are engaged. They're interested. You're coming off a really exciting postseason. There's a lot of young stars. And you're going to stop? You're going to lock everything out? It just, it seems so counterintuitive. And they have a couple of months before spring training. Here we are. It'll be at the beginning of December. So you've got December, January and then part of February to get everything settled in terms of getting an agreement between the players and the owners. If you are Bill DeWitt and you've got Yadier Molina and Adam Adam Wainwright playing their last season, do you really want to have a work stoppage during their last season? If you're the Rangers and you just spent $560 million on four players, do do you want to have a work stoppage? You're Steve Cohen in New York. And last year you signed Lindor. And now you go out and sign Max Scherzer and add him to DeGrom. Do you really want to lock guys out? I wonder how many teams really have an appetite for doing this. In addition to that, you're the owners that are coming off a pandemic season and a season where attendance was down in baseball. You have a, uh, an amount of money that you're trying to make up. And I would also think that you wouldn't want to upset your fans who consume your product if you're already seeing empty ballparks. Yeah, and empty ballparks and lower TV ratings equal less money after you've given out all of these ridiculous, con- well, not ridiculous, all these new contracts, ridiculous in terms of... Hefty. The, yeah, they are hefty. And Javi Baez gets one this morning, Michelle. A lot of people thought that Carlos Correa would wind up with the Tigers. Baez signs with the Tigers for six years and $140 million. Yeah, that was, that's interesting. I... Do you think that's the best fit for them, is Javi Baez? I do believe that A.J. Hinch will be a great manager for him. There's a lot of Joe Madden in A.J. Hinch. In terms of the way he swings, first of all, his defense will be a huge upgrade. Yeah, that's true. And so that, I was that's thinking more offensively. Right. Will he live up to that? Offensively, he, he's essentially a number six hitter. He, he swings the bat a lot, swings and misses a lot. But when he does hit it, it leaves the ballpark or goes for extra bases. I can see him being a really nice number six hitter if he hits like he has for the last several years. Yeah, that was an interesting move. There's been so many moves, Randy. It's hard to keep up. Well, yesterday, the Rangers add Corey Seager to Marcus Simeon. So they'll have Simeon on a seven-year contract at second base and Seager on a 10-year contract at shortstop. But they've only signed one starting pitcher, John Gray, And he might wind up being great, but they don't have anybody beyond him where you say, 
man, I really like that guy as we try to traverse six months of winning baseball. There's not another single starter on the Rangers that I say I really like him. Yeah, their moves have certainly been a little bit of a head scratcher because they committed more to two players and Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon uh, Buster only had this $500 million in the last two days and then they committed in total payroll over the last four seasons which is $410 million and you would think if you're committing that much money to players that you would feel infinitely better about the position that your baseball team is in and yes they have made upgrades and yes they're better but if you're making a list of World Series contenders are the Rangers at the top of that list? No, Of course not. The Phillies and Marlins two of the teams that are connected to Kyle Schwarber and another former Cub that I was I was noting that we haven't heard about him. Chris Bryant apparently is on the radar of the Mariners who have already signed uh, left-handed pitcher Robbie Ray. They're in the market for Chris Taylor, formerly of the Dodgers. And I wonder what sort of market is out there for Chris Bryant. Gosh, I just can't see him going to the Mariners. And maybe it's because the Mariners kind of tend to get buried mm-hmm. even if they're a good team and an intriguing team they're playing west coast baseball so they're not capturing the attention of the rest of the country we just never really hear about no. the mariners and for chris bryant to go from being the guy from the chicago cubs a team that we talked about all the time being one of the cornerstones the the number one guy well you can make the argument for anthony rizzo but tied for first of the guy that brought down the curse for chicago to kind of being buried at the, on the West Coast with the Mariners, gosh, what a change. Yeah, and... and well, obviously, and the Giants, too. Right, yeah. He he may wind up not having an awful lot of teams to choose from and could wind up being a hero in that town simply because they've got the longest playoff drought in baseball. They won 90 games last year, and maybe he'll be perceived as the missing piece for them, kind of like he was with the Cubs. Seattle's a beautiful place. I don't know if it's exciting or if it's boring. There's a lot to do there, but... They draw pretty well. It's a pretty serene atmosphere. Because that's important to him, is to play in a place that's not boring. That's true. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Yeah. I just go up in the Space Needle at night after games. I've been to a Seahawks game. Now, the, mm-hmm. you know, the 12s, they certainly bring it. Yeah. So I don't know about Mariners fans. Though. Maybe they maybe they need to form the 28s if we have 27 man <laughs> rosters. Maybe 28s were great today. <laughs> that's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Lincoln Riley moves from Oklahoma to USC, but there's a lot more that goes into that move. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN and Jack Swarbrick, the director of athletics at Notre Dame, is speaking now on the heels of Brian Kelly telling Notre Dame that he is going to LSU. And Michelle, it's amazing how one move can change everything. And the one move this year came two games into the season when USC fired Clay Helton. And that opened up a Pandora's box because people decided, other schools decided, well, If USC is open, they're going to be looking for a head coach. Maybe I'm going to be looking for a head coach. Maybe I'm not. But during that time period, schools like Washington, schools like the uh, LSUs of the world, they decide, you know what, we better make our, our move because we want to get our guy too. 
Yeah, imagine what that one move set into motion. All the chaos that's followed because of that move that USC made. But gosh, it has been a crazy news cycle with, with these oh, college football it's, it's the best I've ever seen. And Dan Lebetard always says, fans like the transaction better than the action. I actually think I'll like this better than the bowl games. Oh, absolutely. Because of the shock factor. Yeah. Because who expected Brian Kelly to leave Notre Dame for LSU? I didn't. Well, and this is the thing. Now, Coach O was probably on shaky ground, but Helton leaves USC, and so USC is open. And USC is interested in multiple people, among them Luke Fickle. But USC winds up taking Lincoln Riley away from uh, Oklahoma with their opening, so LSU has to get a big name, so they go get Notre Dame's head coach. So now... Both Notre Dame and Oklahoma are open, and you had Florida in the midst of all this getting rid of Dan Mullen and within days hiring Billy Napier. It's musical chairs, and I wonder if Brian Kelly is going to be able to get it done at LSU. Everyone looks at the past three head coaches winning championships there and the success that that program has had, and clearly if you're getting offered $100 million, 10 years, $9.5 million per to go play in the best conference in college football with a talent-rich state and a an institution that's going to give you every resource possible, you're expected to win. The only reason that this move is made is for you to win a national championship. Yeah. And I wonder how long that runway is because you, if you're LSU, I'm using that you if you're LSU, mm-hmm. you just fired a guy in Ed Orgeron that is the personification of LSU football. No one will, will take the great care in that program and in representing Louisiana the way that Coach O did. And in six years there, he went 67 and 47 and gave you one of the most unbelievable seasons we have seen in college football that resulted in a national championship. And then that was in 2019, and now he's without a job. So how long are they going to give Brian Kelly to get this done? How long before his seat starts to get hot? Well, $100 million over 10 years gives him a little bit more of a runway than even Coach O had because Coach O didn't have a job. He, he was their defensive line coach when he got the head coaching job at LSU. Now, I understand what you're saying, that they're very impatient there, but at what point do they decide, okay, we can pull the plug on Brian Kelly? Is it when we owe him only $60 million? I was going to say, because <laughs> it feels like in college football, pulling the plug and, and paying out coaches is irrelevant. I know this is a massive sum of money, so clearly you're making an investment in this person. But we've seen hundreds of millions and billions of dollars of dead money that have gone well, to coaches who have been given a year, maybe two, to get something done, and they're still getting paid out. Here's my comp for Brian Kelly going to LSU. I think Michigan State's program, when maxed out, is comparable to Mizzou, maybe a little bit better than Mizzou. But you aren't going to win any national championships at Michigan State. Nick Saban was there and recognized that he wasn't going to, and LSU pursued him. He goes there and wins a national championship. I'm sure Brian Kelly has recognized, hey, I can do a lot of good things. He's won 10 games in a season five years in a row at Notre Dame, but he's never going to beat Alabama. But he's seen less miles beat Alabama. He's seen Coach O beat Alabama. And he said, well, if I get those sorts of players, I can beat Alabama too. LSU believes that. So I kind of think that he'll succeed at LSU. 
And I would imagine it gives you a, a different edge in recruiting. Notre Dame certainly still holds a lot of cachet. And going to play for someone like Brian Kelly, who puts Notre Dame in that conversation, is alluring. But you're getting a completely different crop of talent in the South, especially in Louisiana. And you're t- you've got the SEC on your side. You're recruiting mm-hmm. kids to play in, in the preeminent conference in college football that constantly is churning out NFL talent. You're recruiting kids to a program that is is in your face and they have fun and they have swag and this game and this team is everything to the people there and you're going to tell kids not only are you going to play with the best you're going to have a chance to win and you're going to have a chance to go on to the next level that's a pretty good thing yeah the lincoln riley move was the first stunning move dan arlovsky joined Keyshawn, j will and max on 101 espn did they get it right at usc Yes, it's the biggest college football hire since Nick Saban. Oh, oh, 100%. Well, that's, that is not unreasonable to say because Alabama had been a storied program that won a bunch of championships and Nick Saban returned them to what they were under Bear Bryant. What USC wants to do is get back to what they were under John McKay. And John Robinson, when they were churning out Heisman Trophy winning running backs all the time, and they were always playing for a national championship, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, there are obviously certain inherent limitations when you look at their results in the championship, in the, in the Final Four. Those limitations, Pete Carroll also proved, don't exist at USC. If you do it right at USC, you can win national championships. And I would imagine that Lincoln Riley could do it, given the resources, and if he can replicate his success at Oklahoma at USC. I mean, he's had three college football playoff appearances, four Big 12 titles, four 10-win seasons, and two Mm Heisman-winning quarterbacks. Now, here's the overarching question here. Is any school-slash-coach combination – whether it's LSU and Kelly or whether it's Riley and USC, are any of them good enough to beat Alabama and Saban on a consistent basis? Consistent is the key word because, sure, if if either of those coaches get the perfect recipe around them, if they are able to build what they envision, could they beat Alabama in a one-game situation? Absolutely. We've seen pro Dabo's beaten Nick Saban. It can happen, mm-hmm. right? But – are you going to be able to build the program to the level with which Nick Saban has at Alabama? That's a different story. That's what everybody's trying to do, and I'm with you. I don't think that they can. I don't think that anybody, until Nick Saban decides to call it quits, or maybe he'll just decide, you know what, I don't like recruiting anymore. I'm going to put this on cruise control. Until that happens, until he loses his passion for it, Alabama's going to be right there. They're going to be in the playoff every single year, and it doesn't matter if it's Coach Kelly at LSU or if it's Coach Riley at USC or whoever Oklahoma gets. Let's say it's Cliff Kingsbury at Oklahoma. None of those schools on a year-to-year basis are going to be able to accomplish what Alabama can. And we're assuming then that Alabama's going to fall off a cliff without Nick Saban. He's left the program in a pretty good spot. And I would imagine whoever his heir apparent is, is going to be someone that he feels comfortable handing the keys over to. And with what has happened in the last two days, I would be less surprised than ever if Alabama would hire, when Saban retires, Alabama alum Dabo to be their head coach. And I wouldn't be surprised if he took the job. Now that Riley has moved, now that Kelly has moved, I wouldn't be surprised if Dabo moved. Because these college coaches, they are so competitive, and they're always chasing that carrot. But for Dabo, you've already 
accomplished everything you needed to at Clemson. You've built something remarkable mm-hmm. there. What's the next challenge that you're searching for? To get as many championships at Alabama as Nick Saban did. And you played for Gene Stallings and played for a championship there. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis, where you'll find incredible value on the ultimate driving machine. Going to get to You're Killing Me Smalls in just one second, but during the break, we were preparing for a segment tomorrow, and I was showing Michelle a picture of the napkin <laughs> that Bill Belichick resigned on as it said, I resign as HC of the NYJ. It's just on a napkin. That's his resignation letter to them, which was pretty awesome. And then that day, January 4th of 2000, you know Ian O'Connor? Mm-hmm. He writes a column. And it says, Patriots will regret hiring Belichick. Really? Is that the headline? (laughs) That's the headline. Yikes. Yeah. Not so much. Yeah, that's uh, bad takes, right? Freezing cold takes? Freezing cold takes, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I got retweeted by them once. Oh, yeah. Yeah, during the Stanley Cup. I think it was game three of the Stanley Cup finals. Blue. That was the first home game, right? It was game three. Yeah. I said something like Jordan Bennington's on fire, and then I think he let in like seven. Yeah, yeah, five goals. It was terrible. (laughs) And they retweeted me. I was like, I deserve that. I deserve that. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, you know who's not on fire, Randy, is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tough, tough three-game stretch for them. They tied the Detroit Lions, followed by back-to-back losses to the Chargers and the Bengals. Ryan Clark, ESPN NFL analyst, and of course, uh, won a Super Bowl with the Pittsburgh Steelers, was asked about his team, the state of his team, and he did not hold back. What do we say about your beloved Steelers today? That they're not my beloved Steelers anymore. Nobody's scared to play this team. There's absolutely no physicality. There's no energy defensively. There's no tone setters. You have one of the best playmaking free safeties in football at Mika Fitzpatrick, and you know what he is? He's a fifth linebacker because you won't tackle anybody in the run. Joe Mixon is flexing, throwing football into the stands. You know why? Because y'all don't scare nobody. Because it ain't about putting your face mask on somebody else's face mask. It's not about upholding what Joe Green did, what Lambert did. It's not about doing what James Harrison did, Casey Hampton, James Ferrier, Troy Palomalu. Those days are gone. We want to be cute, right? We want to make videos. We want to do TikToks. We want to dance in the locker room. We want to be the team that everybody loves to be around. We want to make jokes. We want to smile. We want to have fun. Pittsburgh football ain't about having fun. Pittsburgh football is about dominating people on the field because of your physicality. But that ain't what y'all want. What y'all want to do is y'all want to show up and y'all want to live on the back of legends. Don't nobody care about that no more, right? Young people aren't respectful to the past. In the past, Pittsburgh was something. This Pittsburgh defense ain't jack. And I ain't talking about Jack Lambert. I ain't talking about (laughs) Jack Jack Ham. Ham. I'm talking about Jack and you know the rest of the word. Y'all ain't that. And so now, when Pittsburgh shows up to the stadiums, people like Joe Burrow, people like Joe Mixon, people like T. Higgins, you know what they do? They call their girlfriends, they call their wives, and they say, baby, you got to show up to this game. You know why? Because we're going to win fantasy football for somebody mm. because they ain't stopping a nosebleed. 
You better change something, you better do something, or this will be Mike Tomlin's first losing season. They should play that in the locker room. They should. Now, I I get where he's coming from because he won with a certain style of football that has basically been legislated out by the NFL right now. He talks about dominating physically. Arizona Cardinals have the best record in the league at 9-2. and two. They aren't dominating anybody physically. They're winning by throwing the ball and doing spectacular things on offense. Green Bay Packers are second. Why are they winning? Because they have Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and Devontae Adams. And now their defense is good, but is it physical? Is it knocking people out of games? No, they're, they're doing a, a pretty good job. The Ravens are the one team that you could say, okay, they're winning because of their defense and people are scared of them. My point is this. The Steelers used to be scary for other teams, but I don't know that you can build and win and dominate with a scary team now. I understand what he's saying. When we were at the the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Troy Palomalu talked at length about what it meant to put on that uniform, that you were absorbing the identity of Pittsburgh, of, of that working class mentality of toughness, the steel curtain. And if you're... So, and they... All talked to all the members of the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Steelers that were there talked about the legacy that was laid before them that they felt responsibility to uphold. And it reminds me a little bit of the Cardinals. We talked to Stephen Matt today about the Cardinal way. Sometimes when you're part of a storied franchise, you have a different set of expectations and you are required to be a little bit different than you would be in other organizations. And I, it would bother me too if I was Ryan Clark. And not only I wasn't seeing the success out of this team, but it didn't seem like they were holding up the standards that I had taken great care to uphold. How much of a problem if its problem at all is Scooty Booty. Randy, listen, we're not putting this on Scooty. This is not okay. her fault. Okay. This is not her. Chase Claypool was asked, by the way, if there was anything that could be done to help improve the Steelers, improve their practice. He spoke to Brooke Pryor of ESPN, and he suggested playing music. He said, we have music in the warm-ups and that, so it's fun. People are dancing. They're having fun. So I think maybe music would make practice more fun and a little more up-tempo. I'm sure Ryan Clark loves hearing that. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about it. And when you were part of a dynasty and a dominant franchise and they've had to for whatever reason change the way they play it's got to hurt and I, I I feel his passion I think another big problem I know he's talking about the defense and they have allowed 82 points in the last two games but Ben Roethlisberger is a big problem too not the same Big Ben as he once was. Nope. But I bet what Ryan Clark said is what Pittsburgh Steelers fans are feeling. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. You're killing me, Small. Randy Tiger Woods did his first live press conference speaking with the media this morning. We've obviously been on air, so we weren't able to hear everything that he had to say. But thankfully for us, he spoke to Golf Digest, and that interview was released yesterday. And... He was very transparent about what this recovery process has been like for him and what his future in golf looks like. He said that his days as a full-time golfer, they're over. Here's the quote. He said, I think something that is realistic is playing the tour one day, never full-time, ever again, but pick and choose, just like Ben Hogan did. Pick and choose a few events a year, and you play around that. That's a shame that we aren't going to see him play regularly, and we haven't seen him play regularly for a long time, but it sounds to me like... He might play a couple of majors a year and maybe his tournament, and then that will be it. And we talked to Darren Pang about it. I believe that as great as he was, Tiger Woods is one of the great what-ifs in sports history because I don't think that we saw nearly 
what we could have seen out of him. And think about what we did see. Right. It was incredible. But he has won one major since 2008. Gosh. So we're 13 years in. And because of personal issues and because of injuries, his career essentially ended when he was in his when he was about 30. It's, still in his prime. It's a real shame. And he's having to recover his body yet again after that car accident. And we know that he has spent some time with the Special Forces and that his dad was a, a really big influence on him. And he spoke about how difficult this recovery was to Golf Digest. He said, one of my dad's ways of getting through that was to live meal to meal. I just shortened up the windows of, oh, this is going to be nine months of hell to it's just two or three hours. If I can repeat these two to three hours hours at a time the next thing you know it add up it adds up it accumulates into weeks months to a point where here I am talking to you and walking into a room but wow. this is someone who's had to battle back from really severe injuries and so for him to have to mentally shorten in and say I just have to get from breakfast to lunch tells you how excruciating this must have been for him yeah uh, obviously a sports changing event for us but a life-changing event for him and his family. But he does seem to be at peace with it, Randy. Final quote to Golf Digest. Tiger Woods said, I don't have to compete and play against the best players in the world to have a great life. After my back fusion, I had to climb Mount Everest one more time. I had to do it, and I did. This time around, I don't think I'll have the body to climb Mount Everest, and that's okay. I can still participate in the game of golf. I can still, if my leg gets okay, I can still click off a tournament here or there. But as far as climbing the mountain again and getting all the way to the top, I don't think that's a realistic expectation of me he appears at least with what he's saying to have a real good outlook here i I hope that that is the way he truly thinks well we've seen him with his son charlie Mm -hmm. and and i saw one of the the quotes from today where he said my kids have known me injured more than they've known me healthy Mm -hmm. and i think he really does have a different perspective this time around and kudos to him for being able to accept reality but i can't help but think randy that He's laying the expectation low so that when he does come back, could be. If, he, yeah. if he comes back and he looks amazing and does somehow find a chance to win, it makes the story all that much better. But I, I like that he is coming out and saying publicly, don't expect to see me be what I once was. And we should know it and you should read. It's a Golf Digest, right? Yes. One of the other quotes was there was about a 50-50 chance of him losing that leg. Yes. Which is really scary and sad to think about. And to think that he could be playing golf again on the tour one day is... Yeah. It's really incredible. Tribute to medicine. Thank you, Michelle. You got it, Randy. Hey, join the holiday spirit by donating to this year's Carriker and Smallman 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser, supporting Operation Food Search. Donate at least $25 online between tomorrow, December 1st, and December 13th, and you'll receive... A complimentary 101 ESPN t-shirt, a koozie, and sticker as a gift for your donation. You score a free 101 shirt, koozie, and sticker, and your $25 donation helps Operation Food Search serve the metro area during this critical time of year. Thanks to our presenting sponsors of this year's 12 Days of T-Shirts campaign, American Standard Heating and Cooling Contractors, and McBride Homes. Find all the details on this year's 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser now at 101ESPN.com. We're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin, the Danny Mac Show with BK, coming up at the top of the hour on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Text earlier 
about the possibility of a school like Oklahoma going after Eli Drinkwitz. And we all love Eli, but the thing is, you can't sell, if you're an Oklahoma, you can't sell a, a guy who has an 11 and 11 record in FBS to your fan base. It just, no. it doesn't work. Now, he might wind up being great and he might be gone from Mizzou in a couple of years, but not yet. Could you imagine, and St. Louis has uh, got a lot of alums of Notre Dame, and you wake up this morning, you heard the news last night, you know, Brian Kelly is one loss away from another team to be playing for a national championship, and he bolts. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the yeah. state of college football right now, at Notre Dame. Right. You know, he can't. He he clearly feels like he can't win a championship there, and he looks at LSU where they won two years ago, and he said, well, I know I can win there because Ed Orgeron just did. It's amazing that Gene Chizik was at Auburn. He got Cam Newton, won a national championship. He was out within two years. years. Yep. yep. And uh, Ed Ogeron wins. He's out less than two years. And now you have Brian Kelly, who's uh, had great success at Notre Dame and played for the, the championship and done a lot of great things with that football program. But he's one win away from playing again, being at least in the college football playoff. Yep. Um, one big win against uh, Alabama or somebody like that to knock them out, and he bolts for LSU. Now, I was reading and and heard some people talking about uh, there was a facility that he was having frustration with, with the athletic department. All That gets figured out. That would not be a reason as to why you leave. And then the manner in which he did it, if I played for him, there is no chance I'm showing up at 7 a.m. to see him tell me goodbye. And BK was telling me he was there till 7.13 and drove off. Yeah, there was reports. That's terrible. The meeting lasted 11 minutes. Right. And he's out. And they all found out through the media. Uh, all the reports were that he had essentially ghosted everyone at Notre Dame. So, yes, if you're a player, that's frustrating. Imagine if you're on his staff and you have a family and you don't know what your future holds and you can't get a hold of the guy that's making this change and disrupting your life. I know that that's kind of the way that this game goes these days. And he probably didn't anticipate that the news would get out the way that it did. But there's just a lot of people that get affected by a move like this that happens so abruptly. And players, you know, the transfer portal is there if they want to leave. But I think there was 1,200 kids in the transfer portal last year of just football alone. And if you are an upper echelon player, okay, I get it. But, man, a lot of these kids get bad advice, the lower end, middle, lower end. And uh, they say, okay, you know, they're hearing it from their mom, their dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, f- former coach. You're the man. You need to go play here. Okay, well, I put myself in the transfer portal. And then they find out that that's what other people think of them, too. You're not very good. Yeah. And then they're out of scholarship. I mean, that stuff happens. It's just it's a crazy business right now with college football. It really is. And, and college sports in general. Kelly, I believe – and I know you're talking about how close he's been. I think he's maxed out that program. I wonder who they get that can do what Kelly did over the last 10 years. If I'm Notre Dame and um, all I care about is winning and there's no reason to think that I that's all they care about, um, I, I got to call Urban Meyer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, he's probably going to get fired anyway. And I don't care with all the baggage that's going on. It's college football. These aren't saints. No. These aren't angels. Unless you're representing a Catholic institution, you might want to say it. Yeah, right. I would call Luke Fickle. He'd be my first call. The problem with him, though, is he he might be coaching into January. And you're passing up that early signing period. Now, if you're Notre Dame. You wouldn't go with Urban Meyer? Too much baggage? Simply because he had Aaron Hernandez. I think that. I mean, it's valid. I mean, obviously, there's (laughs) 
plenty of baggage to go along yeah. with it, even the recent stuff. Right. You know, he's probably thankful the John Gruden emails came out at the time that all the stuff hit the fan with him because mm-hmm. that overshadowed yeah. it. And he was the receivers coach at Notre Dame, and for a time, that was his dream job. But the St. Louis and Gary Barnett had Notre Dame as his dream job, too, when he was at Northwestern. And they brought him in for an interview, and it might have been right after Holtz left. I don't know if it was Holtz or Holtz's successor. And he brought his whole staff, unlike Brian Kelly to LSU. He, he brings his whole staff in for an interview at Notre Dame, and they walk out on the field, and he says to them, boys, we can't win here. We can only lose here at Notre Dame because expectations, expectations are, are so extraordinary. And if you at that point, if you weren't winning a national championship, they weren't going to be happy. Did you see? Did you guys see some of the details of Lincoln Riley's deal no. with USC? So part of it was 24-7 use of a private jet for family, private use, whatever he wants. So he's got that. He's Good. got, uh, obviously, the huge money contract. Okla or uh, USC was going to buy, I guess he had a home or two, um, that were very big. I, I think they bought him a $6 million home in L.A., but then the ones that were in Norman or wherever he was living in Oklahoma, they paid over a half million dollars in asking price as part of a bonus to bring him to. I mean, it's crazy. Sounds the like a pretty sweet deal. Available. <laughs> well, you just got to have some big boosters and uh, your TV money and away you go. Well, that's the thing with these two guys. Yes, it's shocking in the immediacy of it, but when you actually take a second and step back, if you're Brian Kelly or Lincoln Riley, these are desperate programs that are going to give you everything you want in the entire world to with without limitations to recruit and two of the most talent-rich areas in our country when it comes to college football, and they're going to put you in a, a great position to achieve your ultimate goal while and making hundreds of millions of dollars. And if you're LSU, I mean, I, I would assume that your academic re, uh, uh, restrictions of going out to get kids maybe are not as tough as Notre Dame. I would imagine, yeah. Um, so maybe your talent pool is a little different than what you're going for at Notre Dame. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I... It's just crazy. It's crazy time in sports, really, with baseball and all the money being spent by them, too. Wish and, I was a college football coach. A lot of yeah, money we need to get in coaching. <laughs> yeah, come on. And if you're an institution and multiple people, presidents of universities and governors, are saying that Nick Saban, while being the highest paid public servant in America, is, is vastly a, underpaid, by the way, is a huge bargain. Yeah. If, you, if you're a school, what's that tell you? What, what should that tell us about how much they make if they win? I remember I was doing Mizzou football, and we had – I can't remember who it was from the academic side at Missouri, and Mizzou was top 10, and they were playing at that time. Uh, and I did the game. It was a nationally televised game on FS1. No, not, it was on Fox Midwest and all the different mm-hmm. – whatever. Okay, you you follow yeah, me. Yeah, gotcha. it, It's 100% penetration in the, in the country. And so they had – uh, our guest was somebody from the academic side, and they said the importance of what – he has done Gary Pinkle to our entire institution cannot be overlooked we, and there was cranes in the ground all over mm-hmm. the place um, and I'm talking about dormitories and uh, parts of the this the school on the academic side that they were able to build new buildings for that the exposure that they were getting the amount of people that were applying to go to Mizzou I mean it's just the money that's in there because I mean think about Alabama is on national television prime time just about every Saturday. Yep. I mean, and you're exposing your school. And part of the the deal is is that you get a couple of commercials in there to talk about Alabama. You know, you get thirty it's a thirty second commercial to talk about your science department or whatever you want. I it's just the exposure that you give your school 
as a whole, those guys are so important for that. The most, if, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think this has changed. The most applications Mizzou ever had was in 2008. And they were number they one. Were number one in yeah. 2007. Right. It's amazing. That's what sports can do. It's the front porch of your university. That's right. Sports is. You got it. It's so, the front porch of 101 ESPN, Randy. Mizzou? No, just sports. Oh, yeah, it is. Just in general. It, it, it's I would all say sports we are. is the foundation. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much. So, we're, we're kind of the front porch. Yeah, you guys are the first show out the out the gate. Yeah, so. we're like yeah. the wreath on the door. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, exactly. Cheering. No, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max are the wreath on the door, and then we're the front porch. Okay. No, they're the front porch. We're the wreath. You're got right. It, got it. Okay. They, uh, and then you guys are like the They foyer. hot take. I mean, they hot take like crazy. Yeah, big time. Ooh, wow. Sizzling so, takes. Yeah. So I, I just... Sizzling hot takes. What do you guys coming up? Got coming up on the Danny Mac show with BK. Well, talk a lot about what's going on with baseball as we approach now the uh, lockout deadline, which is I think at uh, eleven o'clock, maybe our time tomorrow morning. So it's tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Okay. Midnight Eastern. Whatever, Randy. Okay. And uh, so we're within uh, hours of that, but we've had a spending spree here in uh, Major League Baseball. So we're going to talk about that. And Rick Horton will be our guest at ten uh, fifteen. Does Carlos Correa get signed by the end of today? I think it's fascinating that his market, I mean, there's somebody, there's other teams that are out there, but the ones that make sense to me on paper would be the Yankees and the Dodgers or maybe the Angels. Um, I can make a case for all of them. Mm-hmm. I'll say this, though. Remember, he was at the he was kind of the, the poster child of the, the cheating scandal with the Dodgers and the Astros in the World yeah, Series. Yeah, good point. Now you're going to bring him into that fan base. Mm-hmm. You go to New York, they had the same thing with the yeah. frustration of that um and the first time Andy, by the way you just said Derek Jeter doesn't belong or doesn't get a gold <laughs> glove that that's not going to endear yourself to Yankee fans probably um I think it's kind of been unbelievable that we have this huge shortstop market and the Yankees aren't linked to anybody except Andrelton Simmons at this point it's crazy yeah. it's unbelievable I mean that you know to me they they need a shortstop and there's yeah. been plenty out there and they're not they're usually they're the ones spending the money and they're not yeah so we'll see. Looking forward to the show. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks. That is Danny Mackey and BK coming up at the top of, well, it is the top of the hour. So after our next break, a great job today by our producer engineer, the one and only Andrew Marsh. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle, this was fun. Super fun Tuesday, Randy. See you tomorrow. Yeah, for hump day. That's right. Here on 101 ESPN. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.